Tip Today with Fran Curry, IMRO Radio Award Gold Winner. In association with slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007, our free phone number. It won't cost you anything to make a call. And Emma is producing today. It's very wet out there. So if you're driving, do be careful because there's floods all over the shop. So take it nice and easy. Coming up on this morning's show, the expense of GP visits. Uh, well, we revisit that topic once again on the programme today. Reaction to the Garda car ramming in Dublin. Uh, that continues as well. We hear from our dating expert, how pets deal with grief. It's an interesting conversation. We'll be speaking to Maraid from Aravets in Tipperary Town. Pat O'Toole of Farmer's Journal and our own Eamon O'Dwyer report from the final day of the Ploughing Championships. We have health with Muriel Cuddy and how to stop being a people pleaser. So all of that and much, much more on the way. And we'll be hearing from lots of our listeners on the programme today as well. You can text and WhatsApp. 083-311-3311. You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Let's have a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. The Irish Indo. Uh, thousands lose out over bank delays and mortgage switching. Uh, thousands of homeowners face being caught by a wave of rising interest rates because... Uh, Overwhelmed banks are too slow to process their mortgage switching application. Also on the Irish Indo today, only a tiny fraction of the almost one million electricity customers with smart meters are using them as intended. Images right across the newspapers today of the ploughing championships as well. The Irish Daily Mail. And that story that Pat brought you there during our bulletin, uh, the deaths of children. A woman is arrested, a woman aged in her 40s has been arrested for questioning over the deaths of two children following that horrific car fire in County Westmeath. To the Irish Examiner, farmers to be in energy support scheme. And that story, farmers to be included in a new energy support scheme for all businesses to be announced on budget day. More kite flying again. Here we go. Uh, With just five days to go until the budget is announced, uh, the exact details of the scheme still being hammered out amid significant wrangling between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael on the issue, especially around the inclusion of the agricultural sector. Also on the examiner, the Taoiseach Michal Martin has joined world leaders in condemning Russian President Vladimir Putin's uh, threats of nuclear warfare. The Irish Times, Western powers criticise Putin over nuclear weapons threat. So it's that story once again. And also pensions. Uh, ministers have been warned that the state's pension plot uh, will be hit with growing deficits in the years to come, uh, despite an expected multi-billion euro surplus this year, increasing the pressure for tax increases in the future. So that's a peek at what's making headlines in your papers today. If you want to comment on any of that, 083-311-3311. Now, yesterday on the programme, we spoke to one of our listeners, Tracy, regarding medical card expenses and how expensive it is to visit your GP nowadays. Well, Anne-Marie was in touch uh, to share her story and she joins me now. Anne-Marie, good morning to you. 
Hi, Fern. And it's very good to talk to you today. I was just looking at your correspondence with us, uh, Anne-Marie, and boy, have you had a tough journey. Will you tell us something of it? Um, yeah, yeah. So in March um, this year, I had a stroke, um, which um, it, I'm okay after it. But um, the day I had the stroke, I w- went into my doctor. Um, now, I went in as an emergency patient because we knew there was something wrong. Mm. Um, but he he said that he thought it was just a migraine and, you know, maybe to go home and take painkillers or, you know, if it gets worse, go to the hospital. Um, so when I, when I actually went home, I knew, my partner knew, I, I don't really remember much of the day, but my partner knew there was something seriously wrong, so he actually brought me to the hospital. So... Um, it took a while for them to diagnose it down in the hospital because I'm so young. I'm only, I was only 38 at the time. Um, so it took him a while to, you know, get, get the CT scans, get everything done. And it was 3 o'clock in the morning when I found out it was, a, it was actually a stroke, um, which came as a bit of a shock. I can well imagine. And had you any symptoms up until then, Anne-Marie? No, no, I didn't know. I was no. actually out the Saturday night in Navin and um, no, I had, I had no, no symptoms, no. Okay. Just that Monday morning, yeah. And if you didn't respond, I mean, if your partner didn't bring you to hospital, I guess, I mean, it could have been even more serious, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, they said it in the hospital if, if I had moved, if the glass had moved to the right or the left side, I would have been paralysed for life. So, And tell me, you obviously had an extremely bad headache. Is that, is that, oh, why, is really? that, is that why you yeah. thought it was migraine? Yeah, it was the worst headache I've ever had. But I'd also lost my vision in my left eye. And mm. um, I had gone for lunch. Say, I, I thought I was okay. I, I My brain had me completely you know, confused. And when I went out for my dinner, um, my lunch, I met my partner for lunch and my left arm kept, kept like, dropping and, um, you know, I couldn't hold, couldn't hold the knife in my hand, uh, couldn't see the waitress on my left side. I nearly crashed the car when I was driving. Um, I My left side vision went off. And tell me, what was the result of it? So you ended up in the hospital and yeah. what, what did you have to go through rehabilitation and all of that then? Uh, I'm still going through rehab now, yeah. Yeah, just um, the brain is, it's mainly fatigue and concentration. I'm very, I'm very blessed. I didn't lose any, anything, my arms or my legs. So it's all just my brain. And it's probably just because of your age, you being so young, that maybe that it wasn't worse, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, that is it, yeah, and... No, it did. It didn't stop there, Anne Marie, because you've had no. surgery recently as well. Will you tell yeah. me tell me about that? Um, so when I was in the hospital, I was actually blessed. I went to Kilkenny, and there's a um, the consultant there. Actually, um, he actually does a lot with young stroke patients, mm. so he knew what to look for. So he did a, a, a something in my heart where they put bubbles in my heart, mm. and they found a hole in my heart. So uh, last uh, last Friday I had I had a close up in Black Rock. So and and was that there since birth and you just yeah, weren't aware of birth. it? Is that it? Yeah, it was there since birth. Yeah, 
Yeah. Right. And again, if that wasn't found, I, I guess that could have been catastrophic. Well, if it? it would have probably more than likely set, set off more class and have more, I'd have more stroke. Yeah. You've had one hell of a journey, that's that's, that's uh, for sure. And sure. in the midst of all of this, uh, there's there's financial issues because it's very expensive, of course, to, to yeah. go to the doctor. Well, I'm lucky enough I have VHI, which covers me for the hospital. But going to my own GP is, is actually, I absolutely hate it, I won't lie. Um, so, like, uh, about a month or two after I had the stroke, my leg swelled. Um, my knee all swelled up. I, you know, I got worried about it. So I went to the Shannon doc one day because mm. I, it got to me. And the Shannon doc said, oh, with the cyst, mm. here's some antibiotics, take the antibiotics, you should be fine. Mm. But go to your own doctor. So that was 50 euro. And then I went to my own doctor and he was like, oh, we think it's the cartilage is damaged and, you know, and you'd have to go for an MRI and, you know. Mm. So I said, fine. And he took blood tests. It was 90 euro leaving that DP. When, so well, that, that was the cost of the visit on top of, and, and then the blood tests as well. Yeah, yeah. So, so is it 30 for the blood and 60 for the visit then, was that? Yeah, that's right, yeah. It's a lot of money, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then two weeks later, I went back to, because my leg wasn't going down. And same again, I had to pay 60 euro. I had to pay 60 euro every time. I had to go, I had to go nearly every two weeks for him. And it was 60 euro every time. And on, t- on top of that, I could be ringing 15, 16 times, I think, one day. I had to ring to try and get an appointment with him. Right, because all of the GPs at the moment is very, very hard to get an appointment at, uh, yeah. at the moment. And there's no possibility of you having a medical card, Anne-Marie. I don't actually know. Yeah. I, I don't know, to be honest. I probably, I don't really know anything about it. Or, yeah. yeah. But what? to be honest, I don't even like going to the doctor because you wait an hour and a half outside when you're not feeling well is the last thing you want to do. And then you're you're going, and my own personal doctor, he sits and looks at the screen. He doesn't really talk with you. He's not personal. Well, you see, there's there's so much stuff nowadays that involves you know looking at the screen because that's where all of your your information is, I suppose, Anne Marie as well. But I, you see, until I get that, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I compare him to my consultant who I had. When I went down after two or three months for a checkup, mm. I, he sat there and he sat and he actually spoke to me. And when he spoke to me, I broke down and I, it ended up that I was actually suffering from depression, which I couldn't speak to my own doctor because he sat there and looked at the screen the whole time. Do you Whereas, think? Do you think the depression resulted from your illness from the oh, stroke? Oh yeah, it did. Yeah, 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 it was a chemical imbalance in the brain. Right, you you hadn't symptoms of that no, previously. No, yeah. no, no. Well, you see, you were probably a healthy lady, you know, going around yeah. doing your business and you were hit yeah. with this all of a sudden. So the shock yeah. of it was incredible. Yeah, it was, yeah. What needs to happen, do you think, where healthcare is concerned? Well, for a start, 60 euro, it's a business at the moment, I think. It's, it's, paying 60 euro for your health is just ridiculous. You know what I mean? Even if it was 30 euro or do you know, if if you go for the same problem 
for example, like I went about my knee, for about about my leg for four or five times. Each time I had to pay 60 euro. You know. Right, so if you that, go back about the same ailment, you think maybe it should be looked at more Well, that favorably. was the way it used to be before. Like I remember before when, and I'm going back a few years ago, when I had problems with my neck and my back. Mm. And I went to the doctor, and, and if I went back with the same problem, I was never, ever charged. So I can't understand why... Well, I, well I, I think what the GPs would tell you is that the cost of staff, the cost of a clinic, and of course the cost of their insurance now is absolutely off the scale, you know. So that's probably what they would say to you, Henry. I'm not, I'm not taking the part. I'm just I know, make, yeah, making the counter-argument there, you know. The, the other problem is a, a doctor is supposed to care for you. Mm. But if you go in there and you're sitting there and he's looking at the computer... And he doesn't, he has very little interest in what is wrong with you. I don't know how many times I've got in and he's like, well, what's wrong with you? And, mm. you know, and I have to tell him again and again and again and again that I've had a stroke, that he doesn't know this. You know what I mean? And he should know this. You know, it's, mm. it's I think it's gone into a business now that it's it's not about caring about people anymore. You know? It's about money, you think? It's it? about money, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like what? it shouldn't cost 30 euro for a blood test. You know what I mean? What is the prognosis for the for the future, do you think? Will you constantly have to be monitored now, Anne-Marie? Um, well, at, at the moment, I have to take it easy for the next few weeks. But I'm I'm doing good. I, um, I'm with O'Leary now. I'm doing rehab with O'Leary. Right. Just in, with the in brain. In the rehab centre up there, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm doing it online. It's, it's my, for my cognitive... Right. and my concentration. Um, uh, you're, you're sounding good to me and that's a good thing. Yeah. So it didn't yeah. affect your voice really, Anne-Marie? No, no, no. no. Just my brain. Just, yes. yeah. And, and tell yeah. me about that. Is it a little bit foggy at times? Is it? Is that... A bit foggy and uh, my concentration. Like I can't pick up a book and read a book. Or, okay. you know, if I, if I want to watch a really good series on Netflix, I can't concentrate on it. Or... Um, then yeah, I I'm doing really well. I'm doing a lot better now than than I was, but it, it can get quite foggy at times because if my concentration goes, then my memory is starts to kind of go, you know. Of course. Did you get any indication that as things improve for you with the stroke symptoms, that the depression might fade away too? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I'm on antidepressants now, which are, are a massive, massive help. Yeah. Yeah. Massive help, like because I was killing everyone around me. To be honest, but, were you? Did it change yeah. your personality? Yeah, yeah, a lot. Yeah, not not now. I'm coming out of that now, but I I was a different person altogether. Yeah, well, very different. Yeah, yeah. But and, and now it's coming around for you. Now, yeah, yeah. They taught me six months a year, so right. I'm I'm still not driving. I have to wait and get my eyes fields of my eyes checked to make sure. It must it must have been such a, a, a shock to you. It's interesting because I was making this point, I think it was last week, Anne-Marie, that, you know, a lot of us don't think too much about health care and all of that until we're hit with a profound illness, as was the case with you. Yeah. And then you see all the difficulties and all that's wrong with it, I suppose. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Now, I have to say, um, in the hospital, they were absolutely brilliant. Were they? They were brilliant. Yeah. Oh, they were amazing, yeah. They couldn't have done any more for me now. And they knew I was I was in a ward and I said the youngest person there was 65 and they were all male. It was the stroke unit. You know, it was 
it was hard, like, you know. Yeah. Uh, but they they were amazing, like, they were, you know. And did you say to yourself, why you? I mean, did that occur to you, you know? No, I think mm. I just kind of, you know, get on with it and yeah. pick yourself back up and, you know, try I, to stay positive. I suppose you've thought as well that you're very lucky to have um, private health insurance because... If oh, you, yeah. Yeah. Oh, big time, yeah. Yeah, 100%. I, I like, uh, after the hospital, the bill came out and I was like, oh, my God, if if I didn't have VHI, I was in big, big trouble. I won't lie. I would have had to get a loan out to pay off all my health care. It was... Somebody is telling me here that you might be due a a discretionary medical card because of your illness, Anne-Marie, so it it might be worth uh, having a look at that maybe or getting some advice at that, maybe from a local representative or something like that. Yeah. So it might be worth it. It was good to talk to you. I'm glad you're on the mend, Anne-Marie. Thanks. Thank you so much for coming on with me. Okay. Thank Thank you. you. Bye-bye to you now. Bye-bye. That's Anne-Marie with her experience. 38 years of age, uh, stroke, heart surgery just launched right into the middle of the whole healthcare system. And as I say, she's one of the lucky ones in a way because she had private health insurance. How do you feel about that? 1800 007 lovely card from an old friend of mine, Catherine Ryan. And Catherine is uh, writing to tell me that uh, there's a coffee morning for South Tipperary Hospice happening this coming Sunday in the lovely uh, Templary Church in Bansha between half past nine and 1 p.m. And Catherine always does great work for South Tip Hospice. So if you can get along there, they'd appreciate your company and uh, you can donate to what is just a marvellous, marvellous cause indeed. All right, we'll take a break. 23 past nine right now. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie The Imro Radio Award winning Tip Today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie Some response to my conversation uh, there just uh, a few moments ago with uh, Anne-Marie. One of her lists is saying, Fran, I refuse to go to the doctor even if I'm sick because I can't afford the 60 euro, and then the meds on top of that. And Marie is so right, it's too expensive. The only time I go to the dock is if my kids need it. I need that 60 euro to go towards the bills, the food, the fuel, etc. Another listener, I agree with Anne-Marie, GP practices here in town is uh, 60 euro throughout the year. The GP has had a locum covering, so therefore no uh, continuity of care. It's more business focused than caring now, says Anne. And another listener on to say, Fran, my wife nearly died five years ago from clots had to give up her job. All she was entitled to was €103 a week on her disability after working all of her life. She's been penalised because I work in the postal service. It's some joke of a country. 
And that's just a little of what's been coming into us. Now, over the last few days, we've been chatting about the video circulating from that incident of a guard car being rammed in the Cherry Orchard area of Dublin on Monday. We shared this on our social media channels and Paulina was in touch with us and she joins me now. Paulina, good morning to you. Hi, good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Lovely to talk to you. You have some very strong views, Paulina, about guard resourcing. Yes. So, um, Fran, I actually lived in Dublin. I lived in Tala. I studied in IT Tala, which is now called Technological University in Dublin. Mm. That was a good few years back. And I've never felt safe in the area. And I have a very strong view about inadequate Garda presence and resources in Dublin uh, in general, but also in the whole of Ireland. And you can make some direct comparisons because you've lived in Berlin and Madrid and London and indeed in Warsaw. Will you just compare yeah. compare the experiences for me, if you would, Paulina? So let's think about that logically for a moment, right? We, there is an area in Dublin that's quite troublesome, that is known to the guards. There are some troubles in the area. And what do guards do? They send one patrol car with two females to respond. Yes. If that was happening in London, in Warsaw, in Madrid, they would immediately send a few cars, probably armed police, to deal with um, with, with the troublemakers. Mm. I'm not saying, you know, you need to shoot anybody, and not at all, but there needs to be this, this level of fear, I suppose, that you feel when you see the guards or the police unit. And that, that rarely happens in, in Ireland. So... It's very illogical to me to send one patrol car with two females in it to respond to a troublesome area that is known to the guards. And in those other areas that you are making a comparison with, you didn't feel at any time that the situation was over-policed in some way with with armed uh, police force? No, not at all. I mean, you know, police in most of European countries carry a gun. Yes. Um, so that's just a standard. People are used to it. I actually feel safer, I suppose. Um, so, you know, when you go out at night in Warsaw or Madrid, I would often see police just patrols, just walking, driving. There was a big police presence. And I actually felt safe as a woman going out. So, yeah, I never had a problem. I never saw any crazy behavior from the police or abusing their power. I'm sure that happens as well in some cases. But but there is this respect and, and a fear, a certain fear that we have when we see a police unit. It's very interesting. Um, the mob, you, you saw that video, obviously, Paulina. Yeah. The, the mob that gathered around the car, I was making the point yesterday, I, th- I think if they managed to disable the patrol car, that the lives of those Gardaí um, were in danger. I I thought it was that serious and that um, dangerous. It is that serious. It was that serious. It was uh, that dangerous. And again, I sympathise with the two Gardaí that had to go out there by their own. Even if you see in the video, there's a lot of people there. Yes. Um, So to send one... I know that later they sent like 10 or 11 cars probably... Because um, I was reading the reports that later on the response was much bigger or graver by the, the guards. But at the beginning, there was just one car. And for me, that is completely ridiculous. Yeah, the local TD was quoted in the newspapers over the last couple of days as well, saying that he's been asking 
for more policing in that area for over a year now. So this isn't something that happened all of a sudden. There's obviously issues there for quite a long time. Yes, yes, that's why I was saying uh, it's an area known to the Gardaí. Um, I know that there are a lot of people who don't want to work in the area, but, um, you know, we have to use the resources that we have in the whole of Dublin, if there aren't enough guards in that area, let's get some from the other areas. I mean, it's, it's the duty of the guards to protect the citizens. I mean, I, it's really, really hard to um, to judge anybody off. But at the same time, like for me, it's just super illogical, ridiculous, putting people in danger, not enough resources. So that's that's my point of view, Frank. Take me outside of Dublin now, Paulina, because you're living in yes. uh, Tipperary. Um, yes. what, what, what's your experience of that from a policing point of view? And maybe from how safe you might feel to, to walk our towns at night? Yeah, so I grew up in Cashel. I went to a secondary school in Cashel and I never felt in danger. It was a very small, <laughs> uh, you know, safe yeah. town. Um, but there, there also wasn't um, a lot of guard presence uh, at night. But probably we didn't need to. So I feel, I feel quite safe um, in Cashel, in Clamel, in Tipperary. I don't really go out at night alone in in the areas. So I can't really say. But but in Cashel certainly I feel very safe. But that's not due to the. Um, to enough Garda presence. It's just that the community of people and we look after our, ourselves, you know? Yes, I must say, I came through Cashel pretty late on, I think it was Saturday night, and there was a squad car in the town and there was a Garda van at the other end of the town as well. So there certainly was a presence there. But then again, yeah. uh, my great friend from Cashel, Kieran Fitzgerald, he was attacked in, in, in broad daylight as he went for a walk yeah. in, in, in Cashel. And I'm normally talking up the town of Cashel because I'm from there, Paulina, and I love the place. Yeah. But you know, there there is danger lurking in, even in our towns. There is, there is. And of course, I've heard many stories in Clamel as well. Yeah. When people are going out in nightclubs. Of course, we, we hear it. I think we hear it more than 15 years ago. To be honest, I, I feel like there is definitely more violence. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think there is enough of, of Garda presence in towns, in cities, everywhere, really. And again, you, this is with the experience of living in other places, you're saying that too, as Pauline. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, just in comparison, because even, and correct me if I'm wrong, as far as I know, uh, guards in Ireland, they don't carry a gun, right? No, like, no, no they don't. No, plain yeah. clothes, plain clothes <laughs> detectives do, but uh, the uniform yeah. guardy don't. So when I was talking to my friends about it, they said that they would entrust the guards to have the gun. They would give the gun to a police to a postman before they give it to the guy. So there you go. Like oh, even what? even stuff like that, I I was shocked. Yeah, of course. Well, in fairness to the guard, they go into situations that I wouldn't go into. Particularly, I wouldn't go into them unarmed. Now I know they have tasers and they have batons and stuff, but you know. Oh, but even on Lewis in Dublin, you know, on the red line, Lewis. People don't feel safe. People complain. Remember um, a few weeks ago when Lewis said that they actually consider running the services late at night? Because right now I think they finish around 11 p.m. or... Yeah. 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 So... They're, they're, they're looking for a transport police, I know, in Dublin as well at yeah. the moment, you know, and it might be the way to go to. Paulina, it's a real pleasure to talk to you and thank you so much for that. 
Thank you. Thank you so much, Fran. Thanks Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. You're welcome anytime. Thank you. That's Paulina speaking to us from the lovely town of Cashel uh, this morning. Good morning, Fran. The day will come when there will be no guards. Who would want their children joining because it's just not safe? These scumbags will never work a day in their lives. Maybe it's time social welfare should be stopped and hit those people where it hurts, says Kay. Another listener, I lived in Dublin in the 80s and back then I found it fairly safe, but I travelled to Dublin a lot and I do not feel safe at all. More Garda on the beat with armed units. Uh, we police by consent and I, for one, give my consent for our Gardaí to be armed, it says here. That's interesting. Let's, let's put that out there now. I mean, there's a time that we, that we looked at that, at least, that the uniformed Gardaí should be armed. How do you feel about that? 083 311 Fran, I would advise that lady not to apply online for medical cards. Get her GP to fill in all of her details, her ailments on an application form and her medication list. Now, while she's still on a lot of meds, she may just get a GP visit card, but I'm sure that would help her, and that's making reference to my conversation with Anne-Marie at the top of uh, the programme. Fran, if she hadn't health insurance, she wouldn't be as good as she is. It's terrible when people have to feel lucky to have health insurance. Imagine what it's like not having it. It's because you can't afford it. I know an awful lot of people, I mean, do not think it's a luxury. A lot of people give up an awful lot of other stuff to have health insurance because they're aware of the difficulties of being part of the, uh, the, the, the public health system. We'll take a break and I'll be right back. The Imro Radio Award winning tip today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. So much coming in about um, people's experience with uh, GPs and clinics and uh, the like. I'm just thinking I'm blessed with mine because uh, he's a great old doc and the staff there at the clinic are absolute dotes. And last time, not so long ago, I got some bloods done. I think it was only €10 for them, so... Yeah, there you go. Uh, good points that lady is raising, Fran. Very difficult to find a doctor with personable skills. Uh, some just don't talk to you. They just look at the screen. The only thing about the looking at the screen is that's where your all your info is. So I'm not making excuses for them. I mean, it should be a personable experience. But that is where the info is. Um, it's all rush, rush if you go to a GP nowadays. And if they only send a prescription to the chemist, 20 or 25 euro, it's crazy. Um, a hundred percent feel for that lady, Fran. I had a similar experience when I was 28. I was told um, it was possibly a migraine. Uh, doctors have no time for their patients anymore. Back to the guardie. During lockdown, the guards were on every road, frightening ordinary law-abiding citizens. But yet, when they're really needed, they are nowhere to be found, says one of our listeners. John was on to say that was a setup in Dublin with all of those people trying to entrap the guard a car. And that's why all of the people were out watching. They knew what was going to happen. Uh, Patrick on to say, I lived in uh, Spain in the old town. You had to carry a photocopy of your past, of your passport uh, back page at all times or you may be arrested. Uh, there was very little crime, though. Well, 
That's a, an interesting take on it, isn't it? And okay, lots more coming into us, and I will get to it in just a little while. Catherine joins me now. Catherine, good morning to you. Good morning, Stan. How are you? I'm very well indeed. I'm really good to talk to you, Catherine. You think that yeah. law and order is completely breaking down, Catherine? Yeah, I was just listening to the previous lady there, Fan. I don't think it's a guard issue at all. It's what happens, you know, when those people go to court. I think it's a judiciary problem we have. It's a revolving door. And they're yeah. just not tough enough on them, is that? Is that what it is? Nah, they go in one door and at the other. They're waving at the guardie on the way out, you know. No, I don't think it's the law is tough enough on them. What should happen to them? I mean, if the perpetrators of that incident is found, for example, I think they're only 17 or 18 years old of age. What should happen to them, Catherine? I mean, first of all, then I'm surprised that they should be able to put two women in a car on their own. Is it not usually a man and a woman, Garda? Uh, that thought occurred to me, but I don't know what what the story is on that. I'm not certain. I know it probably wouldn't make much difference, but yeah. two ladies on their own, you know, dangerous. Yeah, um, but then again, they're unarmed. And I mean, this was a mob. I'm not sure how many people, but there was at least 20 people that I could see there anyway, you know. Yeah, I heard your audio thing there of a disgrace. It's frightening, wasn't it? Oh, horrible. They were like wolves. Now, what, do you, what do you think makes a group of young people behave in that fashion? Uh, I think man, uh, a lack of discipline, to be honest with you, you know. At home or in uh, school? Yeah. or Yeah, from the cradle to the grave, as we say, definitely. Has to be. Yeah. You know, no respect for the law. You know, none. Uh, and, I mean, you mentioned that maybe something in the courts, but is there something else that needs to be... I mean, a lot of people are pointing at parents there as well, Catherine. Would you? Would you? I would. I would go along with that, Fran. But I think the justice system is failing people. You know, it's... It, they go in one door and out the other and they get off on, you know, technicalities like it's, it's their environment or there's some disadvantaged area, you know, all this carry on. Yeah, because a lot of people make that point that, you know, disadvantage is at the heart of this in some way. Fran, there was no one more disadvantaged than those growing up. You know, if you want to get That's technical sure. about it. Yeah. But we didn't go out doing those sorts of things. It's really parental control, I think. Yeah, somebody else came up with the... Uh, uh, actually, Mary McCallaghan called them brats and she was taken to task <laughs> by a TD for calling them brats. Well, that's probably putting it very mild. Yeah, you'd have another word for them, would you, Catherine? Thugs. Yeah, thugs. Thugs, yeah. No, they're laughing at the police. Do you feel more unsafe than you did years ago? I don't, fan, no, to be honest. No, I don't. Okay. No. Right, so it doesn't yeah, affect you personally. Probably depends where you're living, really, doesn't it, I think? Yeah. You know, I lived in Tallaght for 35 years and I never saw anything like that. You lived in Tallaght, did you? I did, 35 years, yeah. Well, it was only a village back then. Right. You know, but you wouldn't see anything like that. It was great respect for the, for the police. Of course, it was. It became so built up then in the, in the 70s and it's 80s. It's a lot and... to do, I suppose, too, from the technology and, you know... All that sort of thing. They're watching games now, and they're violent. They're running games. Yeah, and even even young kids are watching these extremely violent. Uh, yeah, games. you have all sorts of theft, and theft also, whatever you call it. Yeah, yeah. And it's all about like that carry on, ramming cars, and you know, 
So they're desensitised in some way and this is all part of some big game um, even though the possibility is that people could get hurt or killed. Absolutely, yeah. They don't realise this is a real thing. No. Is there any way around this, do you think? Um, I mean, is the genie out of the bottle on it, Catherine? Can we... Can we do something about this? Oh, I, you know, Fran, I think really if, the, if they were brought to the... You probably remember a guard years ago, Lugs Brannigan in Dublin. I do indeed. Well, I don't remember yeah. him personally, but I read all about I him, yeah. I read about him from... Well, I wouldn't remember. My father-in-law. Yeah. he catch the young. They were all terrified. It would be petty things like yeah. stealing bicycles or fuel, maybe for their house or something. Yeah, he pulled them and up by the ear. And he'd, yeah. and he'd bring them home to the, their mother. Yeah. That'd be the end of that. So are you, you know, saying that, even though if you, if that happened now, I mean, you know, you'd end up in court. In and, yeah. The guys would be in trouble. Yeah, it's a, it's a, but you'd like an element of that again, where, where kids were afraid of the law in some way, or fearful about what might happen. Not, not afraid, respect, Fanny. Respect. respect, yeah, it's a much better word, yeah. Yeah, respect for the law. But there's none of that. All right, Catherine, good to talk to you and thanks for coming on with me today. Thank you and bye-bye to you now. That's Catherine, 1800 I worked in Dublin in the 60s and 70s, Fran, and I enjoyed it, but I wouldn't go there now. It's too dangerous. And uh, Bus Aaron uh, is a disgrace, terrified on the Lewis and Dublin bus. Now, yeah, I'm hearing horror stories. I've never used Lewis, would you believe? But I'm hearing horror stories of the Lewis and the buses, particularly uh, late at night. Fran, if my wife was a guard in Dublin, I couldn't imagine anything worse than having her go around in a car with just one other woman. In these parts of Dublin, there should be at least three in a car and at least one male guard. Guards are a beacon for aggro from these scumbags. And that comes in from James on 083 311 now, good news, TJ Maxx Bar in Mulnahone has been nominated in the Best Local Pub category in the Irish Pubs Awards for this year. And our good friend TJ is the only Tipperary publican that has been nominated and the overall winner will be announced in November. I'm delighted to say TJ is online with me. Good morning, TJ. How's fine? And many congratulations to you on this. You must be absolutely delighted. Yeah, we're, th- we're thrilled, friends, aren't they? It's... Um a big achievement for us, you know. So, 24 years in May, so TJ Maxx will be going. So, it's uh, a credit to my wife and kids and family and bands and everybody affiliated, you know, to the pub. You spoke to us many times during COVID, uh, TJ, and, you know, it it was a trial, to say the very least, for you and other publicans as well. But at least something like this now is a boost, isn't it? Yeah, it's a boost. Look, it's it's all pos- it's all positive now, Fran. You know, we're trying to um, look at it. You know, it's, it's all positive. Look, it's great to be up and going again after COVID, and you know, it's just a it's a, a memory now. You know, but it's it's great to get some positive um, recognition for the pub, and we're looking forward to November. How did it come about? Do you actually enter this, or how does it yeah. work, TJ? With the VFI and the LVA, so you're you're entered through your um, membership of the VFI, right. and they they come they come around throughout the summer and check out pubs and social media and things like that, and uh, then they come back again and they were coming back again in October for the judging for so the final judgment will be in November. 
Very good in indeed. And do you know they're coming or is it undercover? No, you wouldn't know. No, right. you wouldn't know. So it'd be all to do with like our pub now would be event driven and bands, parties, yeah. wedding parties. So look, I'm proud to say that we were involved in in a lot of um, events and wedding, wedding parties, christenings, everything, you know. So it's great to be involved in the community again and, you know, sporting achievements and things like that. So really you're just involved in the community and your your pub just gets to showcase what's going on in the community. Very good. So the judgment isn't just on the premises itself. It's it's the place you have within your community, I guess. That's it, you know. And you yeah. get, you know what I mean. Um, uh, video videos of you know social media videos of of what's going on and different things. Yes. Different events. Yeah, isn't that, isn't that fantastic? And yeah. you're looking forward to the future, then, TJ, with great optimism, are you? Yeah, yeah, upwards and onwards, Fran. I'm hoping to have the Christmas lights on. Uh, God willing, you know, we'll have the Christmas lights on. I might plug out the, the car to keep it. So, you know, get, <laughs> I don't want to push us off the grid there, you know. Yes, <laughs> and I, I, I mean, while we're talking about good news stories and all of that, have you fears about cost of living going up and, you know, the cost of energy for a, a premises like you? It, 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 it must be difficult. Yeah, look, it's, I'm like I'm like everybody else. Everybody everybody is facing it, John. John, I, I, I feel... Uh, you know, I, I think the time of the the, the carbon taxes is, is is total is off. Like I mean, the I, with the war and everything and other ener- rising energy costs. I mean, I think I think it could be put in hold for a while. Just give, give people a bit of breathing room and give them a chance to. I mean, the implementation of the the green the, the greenway or the carbon tax. I mean, mm. they want it done overnight, but I mean, with with the way things are going, just kind of I think people need time. And, uh, you know, conversations in your pub, would uh, largely, are people in agreement with that, TJ? Oh, yeah, d- definitely. I mean, with with the war going on and everything, I mean, it's just like, it, it, you know, you can see the price, the price of energy has, has skyrocketed. I mean, look, I mean, for people that were able to afford to fill up their, their tank, I mean, f- say they're 1,500, say, litres of kerosene or 1,500 euros. I mean, not everybody can fill, fill up their tank. You know, so That's for I mean, certain, you, yeah. you, you do have to feel feel for people. I mean, it's it's tight, it's tight for people. So, you know, we all have to kind of put a positive kind of look on it. But you're you're thinking of your neighbour too, and you know. Absolutely. Have you fears though in the budget that the hospitality VAT rate might go from nine percent back up to thirteen? Would that affect you greatly, TJ? Well, it won't. It won't affect me, friend. No, it wouldn't affect me directly. I'm not. I'm not into food. The food. Right. Edit, okay. But I mean, um, look. I mean, you, you wouldn't. You, you wouldn't know. I mean, it, it's not going to help. But look, I think if they address the the ESB issues, I mean, to be honest with you, the the cap looks to be the cap looks to the cap it looks to be the way forward on a on a temporary scale. Mm, yeah, oh. it's a, it's interesting. But largely, this is a good news story for you. The only pub in the entire county, which was really saying something, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, look, as I said, it's nice, and it's nice to be um, the recognition, and I'd just like to pay a tribute to, the, to all the customers, and I think it's really, it's really a compliment to the clientele at the pub. I, I think that um, it reflects it reflects the, the clientele, 
more so, nearly more so than us. Yeah, well, it, it reflects the, the loyalty to yourself and your family as well, TJ, I'm sure. Yeah. Really good to talk to you today and many congratulations. I will be following the story and best of luck to you in November. Thanks yeah. for coming on with me. God bless, man. Thanks, bye, TJ. Man. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. That's TJ. Uh, Mac of TJ Mac's bar in uh, lovely Mulnahone, um, nominated in the best local pub category in the Irish Pubs Award for this year, and the only Tipperary pub in there as well. Lots of other very fine public houses around the um, around the country as well in there. So it's tough comp- competition, but I'm sure TJ will come out well out of that. Fran, my friend's uncle's car. Uh, he returned to the car park last week after the Garth Brooks concert to find that his car had been stolen, suspected. Oh my God, the poor dote. Uh, Fran, there's no consequences. There should be parental responsibility. Uh, would uh, bringing in national service for a year or so uh, spartan up some of these youths, either army or social work in the community? This is one of our listeners. So there you go. Whenever issues like this... Um, come up for a discussion. That's something that's uh, often put forward uh, compulsory uh, army um, experience. So uh, what do you think about that? 83 Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Thanks, Pat, and uh, welcome back to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. It's very doubtful, Fran, that those two Vanguard, uh, well, they're not Vanguardy anymore, sure, they're not uh, there. Um, women guardy, I suppose, uh, who had their patrol car rammed by those moronic thugs in Dublin would appreciate all the patronising condescension that's being shown to them. Uh, Fran, there was a time when you go to your GP and no matter what you had done, it was included in your GP fee. Now I pay €55 to the GP, €30 for bloods. And yes, Fran, the info is on the screen, but they don't engage with you or even make eye contact. A lot of the time your prescription is written before you're finished telling them the problem. They don't even get off their chair to meet you. Uh, That's, of course, if you get past the secretary. I will not discuss my health with a secretary. And if uh, the GP calls you back, it's a bill in the post for €30 or a text click in the link to pay your consultancy fee. It's just a business. There's no caring involved. I rely on my chemist for a lot. They're absolutely brilliant, says one of our listeners on 083 311 Now, at yesterday's uh, Clonmel Municipal District meeting, there was a rather heated exchange between two councillors regarding the revitalisation plan for Clonmel Town. Our own uh, head of news, Sheila Nocton, was there for us and she joins me now. Sheila, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. Re-raw August Rula Bula. What <laughs> happened yesterday, Sheila? So yesterday, yeah, it was a meeting of the municipal district here in Clonmel and there was a presentation given to the councillors. It's the town centre first for Clonmel presentation. Now, when I say some of the things that are in this, listeners will probably say, we've heard that 
we know that's happening. And I think that was the point that some of the councillors were making. Yes. So effectively, I won't go into all of the details. It was a, it was a lengthy uh, pros- presentation and detailed, but it's the next round of funding is coming up. And in order to do that, the members of the executive have to have a lot of preparation done. And that preparation means that they have to brief councillors on what's happening, okay. even if it's repetition. Mm. So it's things like they want the town centre first approach and that's how they're going to get funding from the government to improve things in Clamel. Um, things like the town centre experience, you know, making a better first impression, uh, using streets and hidden gems that maybe aren't used, everything from our green spaces and blue spaces, uh, making sure that vacancy, dereliction, underutilisation is all addressed. Um, and it's just looking for uh, strategies of growth, really, for mm. the centre. And they're kind of looking at a 10-minute radius within that. People might say, yeah, we know. Mm. When's it going to happen? We've heard it all When's before. it going to happen? Yes. So yes, it all sounds lovely. And, and the executive acknowledged that there's challenges, but look, this needs to be done to get the funding. Mm. But this was raised then. Councillor John Fitzgerald raised that this is way overdue. They've heard this again and again. And can they just get on with it and start getting this to happen rather than continuously getting presentations and constantly hearing about it? Okay, fair comment. Um, yeah. He he said that he doesn't really like that they're kind of constantly compared to places like Kilkenny and that they want the town centre to really look the part. He didn't necessarily say anything negative about the town. He mm. just said that he wants these plans to come to fruition finally. And then Councillor Siobhan Ambrose um, asked, could she speak? And she raised that she kind of rejected Uh, Councillor Fitzgerald's comments and said that he was ignoring all of the good things that were happening in the town. Uh, She highlighted the story that we ran recently of the expansion of the pennies. She said there are a number of businesses that she's working with and they're thriving and it kind of just felt that his comments didn't pay tribute to the amount of great work that's being done by both the council and... So she took it as a negative that he he was delivering a negative... Yes, that he was being negative about Clonmel while she said, I'm very proud. And she said to him, if you don't, he said, I don't know what to tell people anymore when they ask me, when are these things happening? So he said he just feels embarrassed when people say, when are those plans happening? And he has no answer. And she said, if you don't know what to tell them, give them my number. Woohoo. Okay, so, so I'm sure he reacted very, very well to that. Did he, he did. Know, John? With, yes. with one of the best lines I've heard. <laughs> and it was, I'm tired of listening to Julie Andrews. Oh my God. To which uh, she asked, you know, she highlighted a few more things that were possibly going to be happening, exciting things like, you know, a a Guinness storehouse-like venture that may be coming and um, some other, you know, areas of the town that are working very hard. And he just said, "Okay, but everything is not well. And we're kidding ourselves if we say that it is. And he accused her of using what he had said as political point scoring. Right. Uh, to which he also said, I'm very proud of my town and I don't need any lectures. Right. Could we point out now, John is Fine Gael and Siobhan is Fine Fall. So mm-hmm. that, that makes it even more interesting. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So they did, it, they were interrupted and told, you know, with a few, I have to say, a few smiles around the table. And um, How did Siobhan <laughs> react, to, I shouldn't be laughing, to the Julie Andrews um, 
reference. I think she... She just glossed know, over she, it. She it? just glossed over okay. it. Yeah, right. yeah. I think uh, she, she asked just because she have her moment to speak and without right. without interruption. Um, but yeah, and there was no reference to it. But I, I saw... It's funny when you're sitting in, often in council meetings as the press and you look around the room at, you know, members who, who aren't councillors and yes. they they smiling into their books. Um, and look, they, they I have... Like, the... The outcome is really, they both want the best for the right, town. So this right. is where it's coming from. Um, but I suppose it's a clash of how quickly it's happening and where people are choosing to, to focus. Of course, and the frustration, I suppose, at the slow moving machine that is uh, local politics. Yeah. Um, tell me about the Christmas lights as well, because there was some discussion on that. Yes. Um, so this is just something I know it, people will think we're mad now talking about Christmas lights mm. this early. But it actually, I think what the meeting yesterday showed is that it needs to be talked about now before we get to November, December and people start saying, oh no, where are the lights? Mm. Um, So with the cost of electricity going up, which we've seen for every business, this is outside of any additional um, possible electric needs. That it was again, actually, Councillor Fitzgerald raised that was there any way that there could be a solution or could be support for the traders? Because they are already finding it tough and that will make it tougher and they don't want to sacrifice the lights because mm. of this. And he said at a time where a lot of people are struggling, they'll often bring a lot of joy and happiness to people coming up to Christmas, right. which they do. And so he just said, is there support available? Now, what he was told by the executive, which for I suppose if people are wondering what I mean by that is, is the people who are on the council or sure. are not the councillors. Yes. Um, so the manager... She said, every year there are a certain amount of traders in Clonmel who engage in the process and want to be part of it, but then there are others who are retailers who don't. And that every year, she said, this is not solely because of the problems this year. She said, every year she comes up with this problem that yeah. there is not enough funding. And, and in the notes to us, you said something that I'd say will annoy the hell mm-hmm. out of business people out there, that they never come back with new ideas or solutions. And it's not for the council to go funding Christmas nights yep. and they will only help. I'd say traders will be very cross over. I, I think the comment, you know, there was two of us here from from the station yesterday. I think what we thought was there was a very hard line on it mm. in that uh, she kind of put forward that she often goes to them and says, come to me with a plan and then as the council, we'll support you. But it's not our job to fund lights. That's We are never going to fund right. the entire But they lights. will help. They will contribute. We, she that. said they absolutely yes. want to and are willing to help, but not without new ideas because every year the same strategy, she says, right. is put forward to them and there's nothing new. But she said they never come back with new ideas. Yeah, okay. they've never come back. So I suppose it is that. pushing it. To, I, I, yeah, I, I, I wondered as well what, what maybe business would think of that. But it's putting it back on them that come with new ideas of how we come together to manage this when, you know, there's only a certain amount that will fund it. She also pointed out that if we only have a certain amount of money this year because of the issues with costs, well, then we've less lights, and that's the reality. That's interesting. So you had lights mm. and the sound of music yesterday at uh, the <laughs> municipal district. It's great. I know there was talk as well about uh, local transport, public transport as well. Does, yes, does and uh, and there was also talk. I mean, no people would probably want to know. There was talk about the water issues. Uh, course, there's huge, huge outages across yeah. um, Clonmel, but also I know Horse and Jockey. And I suppose the overriding opinion there is that there is poor infrastructure, poor investment, um, and councillors are really, really annoyed about that. So that's really what what came out. And I suppose if we're looking at all, all the other things like the aesthetic of the town. Not really much good if nobody wants to live there because they don't have a water supply. Um, but yeah, 
um, the bus service for Clonmel, they are hoping that they're kind of working on it. they're very aware that this needs to happen um, Councillor Dennehy pointed out that there's people who don't have cars we're finding it very hard to get into work um, and look it's it's ongoing but there was no timeline or definite date for that Alright the hills are alive thanks very much indeed Sheila and other dreadful puns thank you and bye bye to you that's our head of news uh, Sheila Nocton who was present at that rather interesting uh, Clanmel Municipal District meeting uh, yesterday and now lots of reaction to our Garda car ramming in Cherry Orchard and Paul joins me now Paul good Good morning to you. Good morning. And good to talk to you today. You've been listening to the various discussions on this. What What are your thoughts at this point? Well, uh, I was listening to a, a woman there the other day. She was saying that she's willing to come out and confront these scumbags who are, who are causing the problems. And she was saying that she's in her 60s. Even though she's in her 60s, she's willing to come out and confront them. And we've all over the country, we've got big, strong men who won't do anything, you know? Yeah, and it's interesting, and I can understand her frustration, but nowadays with the way litigation is, Paul, you'd be afraid if you did confront them, they're going to sue the arse off you, you know? No, no, I don't think so. I, I have confronted kids myself. Have you? I have to tell them to stop messing. And how did they react to you? Well... Me and another fellow went out one night because there was kids throwing stones at, at uh, houses in my estate. Yeah. And um, we told them to stop. But they didn't show us hell, a whole lot of respect, you know, but if, there was only two of us. But if, um, if the whole community went out and told them, I think that they would change their minds. That's an interesting one because that happened years ago in Dublin in terms of battling the drug situation there where communities did rise up and come out and uh, do something about that. Is that what's necessary, Paul, at this point? Well, I think so, yeah. I don't know what happened to that. Um people coming out against drug dealers. I think they cleaned up certain aspects of the flats and that in Dublin, but then again it all comes back again because that's what happens with uh, drug does. dealing. Yeah. It does, yeah, because the people stopped doing it. Yeah. These drug dealers came back again. But if the people kept doing it, then these drug dealers would think twice and, and criminals and those that would in, yeah. get involved in antisocial behaviour. Now, you know that the law and the guardie themselves would be against any form of uh, vigilante um, operation in any way. Um, is that kind of what you're talking about, though, Paul? Well, I'm not necessarily talking about um, vigilantism. Like, I, I don't think there'll be any need for violence if if communities would come together, you know? Yeah. And you, I presume you saw that video of the, the squad car being rammed, did you? I saw some of it, yeah. Yeah. Would you have come out in a situation... I mean, it looked to me that that mob was ready for anything. I mean, would you have confronted them? I wouldn't have, I wouldn't confront them on, on my own. I think it'd have, it'd have to be made to do that. But the whole community, I think, could do it. Yeah. And that's what that's, that's, that's what's so- necessary now. I think so. Yeah, when when you think about it, the whole the whole community of people is a, is a lot more than these scumbags who are causing the problems. You know. Yeah, but the community of people there, Paul, would be the parents of some of these thugs. I know that, but a lot of the a lot of these parents, they would um, be in favour probably of 
somebody trying to stop them, you know? Yeah. Do you think there would be an appetite among ordinary people to stand up against this? Uh, Well, I don't know. Uh, Well, I hope there would be an appetite, but uh, I I don't know. It's interesting. Can I tell from your accent, uh, have you a UK background, Paul? Yeah, um, I was born in the UK, yeah. Right. Can you make any comparisons for us uh, between policing systems in both jurisdictions? Not really, no, but... um, because I haven't lived in the UK for um, I was I was young when I left the okay. UK, you know. Yeah. So. yeah. Interesting. Well, Paul, you make some great points and thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you and good morning to you. That's Paul, eighteen hundred nine three eight double O seven. How do you feel about that? The Imro Radio Award winning tip today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel, or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie. The best of tip. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Surely in this day and and age, Fran, all uniformed guardies should carry body cameras and tasers for their own safety and uh, it should be mandatory that they take ongoing training in self-defence. Yeah, the legislation, I think, is it held up or is it in place um, for the body cameras? I I can't remember at this point. Uh, Interesting one in from a retired guard and it says here, you try and tell female guardie that they have to be accompanied by a male and you will draw some trouble on yourself. Strong prison sentences is the only answer to thuggery. Now, I hasten to point out that the commentary we had about, you know, the female guardie being, you know, not accompanied by a male guard came from women. So I <laughs> For fear of starting a row here, I just want to point that out. Those viewpoints came from women themselves, okay? Now, over the last couple of days, we've been discussing who should fork out the cash on the first date. Opinions were mixed from our listeners, but largely our women listeners were saying, ah, we would expect the guy to uh, fork out the cash. Well, let's find out from an expert. and Let's talk to Ireland's number one dating coach. That's Francis Keller, who is a frequent contributor to the show. Francis, good morning to you. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Lovely to talk to you again. Is this a query that you hear a lot? It is. It is because it's getting more confusing as time goes on, as the years go on. The men are trying to keep the happy, the women happy. And, you know, they're getting mixed up on what they should do. And just to run quickly through this, this uh, was ignited because of a letter um, to our agony aunt. It was a guy in his 20s. He just came out of a long-term relationship. He built up a bit of a relationship with a lady online. He's about to have his first date. He presumed he would pay for the meal. He invited her out to dinner. But then again, some female friends of his said, uh-uh, hold on, don't do that because it might be seen as being chauvinistic or misogynistic in some way. So it all came from that, what is your opinion of what should happen on a first date if a guy invites a, a woman out? So basically, the bottom line, friend, is whoever asks whoever out should pay. 
That's the bottom line. Simple as that. Simple as that. I mean, you don't go to a solicitor, an accountant, and ask for their time and then say, you know, I've asked for your time, you know, and now pay me. Thanks very much. It doesn't work like that. You're asking them for their time and energy and, you know, they're, they're obliging you. So, but normally the men do the asking and they should do the asking out and they should pay. Now, if a woman feels strongly about this and it's time to pay the bill, is that the time to intervene and say, no, I'd be much more comfortable if we share this in some way or some version of that, Francis? Yes. Well, this is um, very important for building, you know, attraction as well. Men have six main love needs and one of them is appreciation. And a woman can show her appreciation by saying, you know, oh, are you are you sure? Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You're very kind. You know, that's all the guy really wants to hear and see is the appreciation part. Now, the other thing, fine, is I am very, very against men paying for everything for the whole relationship. That, you know, some women think that, oh, the guy should just pay full stop. No, that's not fair at all. When you go out with your sister or your best friend or a work colleague, you don't expect them to pay the whole time. It's not fair. So I would say down the line in the relationship or on the second date even, you can pull out your wallet and say, listen, I really appreciated you paying for dinner. Let me get these drinks now. And it should be, you know, 50-50. I had a guy that was all into a woman. He was, you know, dying to date her. They dated for a while and she expected him to pay for everything and he simply could not financially keep up. And he was too proud and embarrassed to say that to her, to say, listen, I really like you, but I can't afford to keep paying for everything. So he just broke it off. So and it, it killed the relationship. relationship. It does. I mean, why should it be, you know, one-sided that the guys pay for everything forevermore? It's it's ridiculous. I mean, if, if a woman said, you know, uh, if a guy said to a woman, well, you know, we have to get intimate any time I want. Any time I say we're getting intimate, you have to just do that, and that's the way it's going to be. There'd be up for it's, it's the same thing, you know. You can't have those ridiculous rules. That's, that's my opinion. You, you, you spoke of appreciation, Francis, but, uh, and it came up in some of our conversations as well, this notion that if a guy pays that he might expect appreciation by way of sexual favours. Um, is that a concern? No, like, that's up to the woman. Like, you can't be putting that on the men. You know, you have your own choice what you want to do and loads of people have expectations on us in life in general. But it doesn't mean, you know, we follow through on them or we, we put pressure on ourselves to follow through. So, and I, the men do not expect that. Uh, look, there's probably a percentage because there's always an exception. But most men don't look at it like that. Men show they fancy women and that they love women by providing. Three ways. Providing, protecting... And, you know, ter- being territorial towards the woman, like putting a label on it, like we're dating, she's my girlfriend, she's my fiancé, she's my wife. This is the way they express their affection and love. So, you know, guys aren't doing that to expect anything back. The majority of them aren't. You see, I, I put forward... Uh, uh almost exactly what you're saying because, I mean, I'm of a certain age now where it it would be alien for me to have a woman to pay if I invited somebody out. Um, but I, I had a lot of people on to say that I was old-fashioned and I was, you know, this and that and the other thing. And some women would perceive me to be so. Yes, and they probably perceive me too. 
But there are these dating ways that don't change because Mother Nature has made them. You know, men are chemically built differently to women and, and we're different to them. And nothing is going to change that. There's a dating process. There's a courtship process that works, that builds attraction and, you know, has stood the test of time. Whether you're looking at it as old-fashioned or not, these are the things that work. And, you know, that's what yeah. builds attraction. But and were... women want a provider. Do they? They do. Women want a provider. I've never heard of a woman that has come to me and said, you know, Francis, I'm looking for a guy that won't provide, that has no job, no goals, no ambition, that doesn't really want to know what he wants to do all day long and won't help me out in any way or form in the relationship. That's the kind of guy I'm looking for. No, women come on, they say, I want a guy that, you know, has goals, that works, that has passion for his life, that can support me emotionally and, you know, financially. And women want that too. You know, men and women want, men want that too from the women. They want a sure. partner that will support and provide for them in every way. It works both ways. You, but you, women love a provider. But you alluded to it when you first spoke to me this morning, Francis. It is a most confusing time. For, for people out there, and dare I say, particularly for men. A hundred and ten percent. Men have it very tough. They're trying to keep the women happy. They're trying to build attraction, and they're confused on what they should do. But what I would say to men is, stand in your masculine energy. Masculine energy is focus, you know, drive, ambition. Go out, ask that girl. Women love being asked out. Ask that girl out provide for her, offer to pay. You know, who doesn't want anyone to pay and have a treat, you know, get a treat anyway off anybody? You know, it's just human nature. And go with that leadership role because that's what women are looking for. You know, I've even seen where people say, what does she see in him? You know, but he's a great provider. He's making lots of money. She's not under pressure financially. He's emotionally supportive. He's providing that way. That's why it's not all about the looks. Women love a provider. Francis, really good to talk to you as always. And thank you so much for your time this morning. Thank you. Uh, bye-bye to you. What about your reaction to uh, that? Uh, by the way, Francis Kelleher is uh, available to you and uh, you can make uh, contact with her. FrancisKelleherCoaching.com and she is Ireland's number one uh, dating coach. Love to hear your reaction to that. Now, you've probably seen some of the heartstring pulling pictures of the Queen's corgis looking rather despondent on the day of uh, Queen Elizabeth's uh, funeral. Now, while we're we're often prone to humanising our pets, the truth is that in this case, um, it seems that the corgis will in fact be affected by the death of the Queen. But what is the truth of all of this? Let's find out from an expert and uh, Mairead Leahy, of course, of Ara Vets in Tipperary Town is our vet and she's with me now. Mairead, good morning to you. Morning, how are you? What do you read into this? I mean, do dogs respond to loss and to grief? Yeah, they definitely do. But like you were saying about humanising our, what's that word, anthropomorphism. Yeah, I couldn't um, pronounce it. I went with humanising. <laughs> yeah, I think Yeah, I think I'm pronouncing it right. It's anthropomorphism. Yes. So 100% like the dogs or the cat or the pet will feel um, a sense of loss when an owner 
dies, but they don't feel that grief um, in the same way as we do, you know. Um, those dogs that were sitting out uh, seemingly waiting for the coffin probably really had no clue what was going on really at that point. However, what they do is like, I was reading up on um, the Queen actually and her corgis and like apparently they were allowed to go anywhere you know, in, I was going to say in the house. But, Were they? In the palace, you know yeah. I mean? yeah. yeah. And that they slept in her bed or, you know, so yeah. um, what will happen when a pet loses someone they love um, and that routine is they will go back to those places, you know, where they know where they got comfort. So, like, they might go hop back up in the bed and kind of wait for that person to come back or um, if the person normally brings them for a walk, they might sit at the door and wait for that person to come back. The same way as if you went down to the shop and your dog sat at the door waiting. Um, what they really miss is the routine. They definitely know that things have changed um, when some, when there's a loss in the house. And they also um, sense other people's like change in behaviour or their sadness. They know that something's happened. But I don't think they get grief in the sense that we do yes. where it's an end and there's nothing afterwards. They're just, you know, they, they can be distracted from it, I feel. And while they might appreciate the love from an owner and the attention from an owner and being fed and all of that, can they experience love as we might know it? Who knows? Um, they definitely show affection. You know, like they definitely have their way of showing affection um, by, you know, wanting yeah. to sit beside you, yeah. lick your hand. So they definitely show affection. And people would comment in relationships where one, where a dog may favour one person over another. So, you know, I, I do think they get like a connection or, you know, um, a loyalty to certain people. So they do know what's going on. I think in the case of the Queen and the Corgis, like, the Queen would have travelled an awful lot and those corgis would have, uh, you know, would have another person that would be looking after them when she's away. And, a but, you know, a, I think they have a butler and, you know, they have other people that look after them. So they definitely have a second routine that mm. will just click into place. So um, I think they'll be fine. Um, I suppose in a home situation where there's a loss of someone, it's to try and keep that routine in place. You know, if, if the dog was fed at a certain time, if the dog was walked at a certain time, that those things will be continued on for them. It's interesting, yeah. Um, I, I'm always particularly saddened when I hear about uh, an older person passing away and a dog or a yeah. cat being left uh, behind to Yeah, and put into a rescue yeah. centre then yeah. as well and they haven't a clue like that. Like those dogs would definitely pine for a while because they've probably been on that person's bed, they've probably, you know, you know, eaten like toast and yeah. tea on the couch beside them. So like their routine has completely changed um, with the death of that person um, because they're, they're put into a whole new situation so that's extremely difficult right. um, grief can come across on dogs as anxiety or a behavioural change you know where they're no longer able like that anxiety is there because they no longer have that routine and um, structure in their life that they did have um, but I don't think it's grief as in what we mm. feel when someone dies you know where that sense of loss that you know we'll never have that person again or you know that kind of sense I don't think they right. they don't so they that, don't know that that person's never coming back. They'll wait. They're that, waiting that, for that movie image of dogs sleeping on graves and stuff. That's all of a lot of nonsense, then, really, is it? I, like, who knows? Like, maybe they know. You know, I would say, yeah. You know, maybe they know that the person is there, but like, I don't know. Look, I don't know if a dog would go and find a grave. I think they'd be more likely to go back yes. and lie on the bed. 
that they would normally set beside the owner on or sit, you know, would go back and sit in the couch, you know, or lie on their coat or something like that that they know is theirs and they're waiting for that. You know, if you know if you have a routine with your dog of taking them for a walk at six o'clock in the evening, the minute you like get your boots on and you're ready to go, they know. So they're looking for that kind of those signals are routine. Of course, yeah. Patrick was on and he says, um, would you ask Maraid because my mum's dog is just not herself since my mum uh, passed away. Any suggestions? So, like I was saying, try to maybe keep the routine the same. So, the same little things that your mum would have done, like, you know, making sure that the dog might be fed at the same time as she fed the dog or, you know, taking them for the little walks, going back to areas that the dog would have gone to Whitherge, you know, gone for their walk in a certain area. Do you know the way they might have gone for a little walk down the street and the dog might, you know, associate that with her. Um, It's just time and routine and, you know, being sensitive that there is maybe an anxiety there that 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 little dog's leader is not there anymore, you know, that that other person that's there um, for them. But it sounds like he's doing a really good job even just where he he notices that the dog is feeling it um, himself. So... I'm sure he is. I know Patrick and I know he'd be very kindly indeed towards uh, the yeah. dog. Uh, Maraid, look after yourself and thank you thank so you. much for your time no this morning. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. That's our vet, Maraid Leahy there of Aravets on the Limerick Road. Uh, they have a most beautiful premises there if you ever want to uh, drop in. And you will be made welcome and your little pooch as well. All right, we're going to take a break and uh, I'll be right back. The Imro Radio Award-winning Tip Today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all-new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Welcome back. Thomas uh, in Clonmel, says, Fran, you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel for your show. Continuing with that rubbish of who should pay and who should not pay on a first date. Get over it, says Thomas. Now, Emma got on to Thomas and said, would you like to come on and talk to Fran about what rubbish this is? And he said, no, thanks. I'm heading into town. So there you go. Uh, Fran, I've learned that there was drag racing by a couple of cars on Silver Street in Nina a couple of nights ago. So any listeners out there with information about that who are hearing about uh, antisocial behaviour around the county. In fact, various people on to us. If you have stories, do share with us, won't you? 083 311 Most interesting WhatsApp here. It says, uh, because I was talking to our vet, Mairead Leahy there, and I put it to her that there's this image in a lot of movies and TV series about dogs lying on their owner's grave and looking miserable and all of that. But th- this listener says, my dog knows where my father's grave is. And if we go for a walk, the the dog will always pull me towards the grave. So don't underestimate any animal, says one of our listeners. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that absolutely amazing indeed? Uh, What's your experience of that? Uh, Prince Andrew and Fergie have the Queen's dogs and uh, then they have their own chefs to cook their food and they're well looked after. And uh, Fergie used to go for walks with the Queen and the dogs there cared for. I thought Fergie was completely out of the fold there, so... It just goes to show you. Anyway, let us move on and let us go to Rathaniska uh, for the final the final day of the Ploughing Championships. And I'm delighted to be joined by Pat O'Toole from the Irish Farmers Journal. Pat, good morning to you. 
Good morning, Fran. Well, it's rather miserable here in Tipperary, so I can't imagine. What, what is it like uh, in Rathaniska this morning? Uh, intermittently uh, damp and uh, intermittently uh, torrential rain. So it's a matter of ducking the showers. It's raining quite heavily at the moment, but there's a good turnout. Uh, spirits are up and people are ducking the showers and uh, the coffee docks are busy when it's raining. Everyone's in, in the uh, hundreds of tents around the site. Very good, uh, yeah. uh, taking shelter. Record crowd yesterday, Pat. And uh, is there a is there a feeling of optimism there? Do you think? Yes, yeah. uh, there was, especially Tuesday, Wednesday. It's hard not to be optimistic when the sun is shining. Farmers have yeah. had a reasonable year. The weather's been good. Uh, farming has been easy. There's been a bit of drought in my part of the country, I suppose, the south and east. It's been a superb year for crops and grass in the north and western half of the country, or north and western two-thirds of the country. Uh, But uh, prices have been good, even though costs are very high, prices have been good. And farmers are feeling uh, glad to be back out in the base. It's been three years since we've had the ploughing championships. COVID kept, you know, uh, people apart. And I think that uh, everyone's just glad to be out in the boat. It's been a really good vibe. And it's good to know that. Now, the Journal has commissioned independent research, Pat, among Irish farmers um, to find out some data. And this follows on from research you did just a few months ago. Yeah, so um, we have a huge database, I suppose, uh, of uh, farmers. And uh, we've been dipping into that in conjunction with IFAC uh, to survey farmers on... Uh, how they feel about things. So it's different to an opinion poll, but it is within a large subset of Irish farmers. And it, this poll takes in almost 2,000 farmers. So I think it, it's pretty accurate. Mm. And the other thing is, if you take it as a barometer of the change in attitude from within that subset of farmers, I think that is very uh, indicative of the general mood uh, in the farming community. And that is probably shown, if we can talk about some of the key findings of the sure. that that probably shows up in the approval rating for the agriculture minister because that that has improved somewhat, hasn't it? It has about thirty percent approval. Uh, minister McConnell had to make some very big calls to twenty twenty one. You had cap reform. You had the new nitrates. Um, uh, the climate action plan and the sectoral targets for agriculture, and then the narrowing of the bands this year. So there's been an awful lot of uh, the machinery of how farming is managed by government and by Brussels uh, set in place for the next 10 years. And um, Charlie McConnell had to navigate all that. So it's been a very challenging year. His uh, approval ratings were quite low in June when we last polled uh, farmers. But but they're up now. 30% of farmers approve of him. 31% are negative towards him. And then about 40% are indifferent either way. And that's an improvement of about 9% on his polling in uh, in June. So I think you'd have to be happy that he's going in the right direction at least. However, the farming organisations won't be too happy with some of your, your findings. Just one in three happy with their performances, Pat. Yeah, actually, very similar levels of satisfaction and dissatisfaction with the farming organisations as with the minister, which is interesting. Um, uh, there's very close engagement between the farm organisations and the Department of Agriculture. Now, it's often quite negative. It's often, well, not negative, but it's often quite tense and mm. they're on opposite sides. Mm. Um, I think it benefits the farming community that there is a constant uh, and regular engagement between both sides and the, the you know, the, the free exchange of 
of information and views. But perhaps as a result of that, the farm organisations are regarded as uh, too close to the department by, mm. by some farmers because there's this almost identical levels of satisfaction and dissatisfaction. Um, about 32% uh, say indifferent, 38% saying poor or very poor, and uh, 30% identical to the minister um, saying that they're uh, good or very good. So it's, uh, yeah. it is interesting. I think what farmers will be, or what the farm organisation will be concerned about is the a huge proportion of farmers who are saying they're indifferent because uh, any politician would tell you he'd rather be getting given out to on the doorsteps than have people just smiling and saying nothing and shaking hands and, and, and closing the door because uh, if someone is is angry with you and, and is given out to you, at least they're still engaging and at least they're still connected. Whereas when you get indifference, that's a really bad sign. It means they, they stop caring about you and they're probably not going to vote for you. So I think the farm organisations will be concerned at that uh, huge proportion of farmers who say they're indifferent. When um, when the last lot of research came out in June, Sinn Féin would have been very, very happy with a, a steady gaining of support among the farming community. They might not be so happy this time around. No, they've slipped. Um, and they, they've slipped to 13%. They're way behind their support levels uh, across the general community. Was it 16 they were at last time, Pat? That's correct, yeah. which would have been about half of their what they were polling nationally at the time. Yes. So now they've slipped to 13 out of 35 or 6, uh, as opposed to 16 out of 32. So that, that's a negative journey that Sinn Féin are on. Perhaps an indication that farmers are, like you said earlier, doing good form in these weeks, that things are going quite well, and government approval rating holding mm. steady. Uh, Fianna Gael are on 37%, identical uh, to the previous poll in June. They've halted a recent slide. Fianna Fáil is steady at 23%. That means 60% of farmers are saying that they would support one of the two main government parties were there to be an election. 19% for independents, also a consistent pattern of a large volume of farmers supporting independent candidates like Matty McGrath, Michael Fitzmaurice, Marion Harkin, uh, the Healy Rays, Michael Collins, Richard O'Donoghue. I mean, there's, there's a huge squad of independent TDs, Carol Nolan in, in East Offaly, mm. um, and, and we have one uh, uh, in my own county as well. Uh, so, Avon Murphy. So, we, we've mm. got a huge um, range of independent candidates gaining support from farmers, which will concern the political party. Yeah, a lot of those uh, candidates that you mentioned, though, of course, would be either farmers themselves or of a farming background, I suppose. Uh, yes, uh, and uh, a lot of them are gene pool, either Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael as well. Yes, of course, yeah. uh, they would have come from the two main parties which traditionally have attracted a lot of support from farmers. So you have all of that going on uh, politically. Uh, I, I wonder what would happen if we had an election uh, called mm. because um, uh, uh, farmers are quite canny and they're quite good to catch the mood and We'll be watching it closely if an election is called to see if there's a change in support levels for the various parties. Be interesting, all right. I, I was sort of surprised, but maybe you're not. One third of farmers cutting stock numbers right across the board. Yeah, not surprised at all. Uh, this is to do with the cost of uh, inputs, especially feed, fertiliser, fuel. Um, and a farmer's being prudent. So not cutting stock numbers by massive amounts, mm. but just trimming uh, the other thing is that there's exceptionally good prices for cold cows and cold yos this year, uh, which 
gave farmers an opportunity to maybe tidy up their their flocks and herds and uh, uh, um, go go with better genetics. And it's one of the asks of farming is that we improve the genetic base uh, that we're operating from and get higher performance from our animals because it's more efficient from uh, a usage of you know very expensive and very precious and very environmentally costly uh, uh, inputs, such as fertiliser. So, so for that reason, uh, a whole number of things have coalesced to see where, uh, especially sheep and, and dry stock farmers, have cut livestock numbers. Dairy farmers, less so. Uh, interesting. Um, we're just about out of time. There's so much you could talk about there. Finally, could I just put it to you, 96% of farmers are really concerned over profitability indeed. Yeah, and this is all to do with input costs. Yeah. So if you take a tillage farmer, we haven't had prices fixed for this year's harvest, but they're going to be record prices. But if you were to buy fertiliser now and sell grain forward for next year, back to back, which is the prudent thing to do, buy your inputs as you're selling your, your output, um, you wouldn't you wouldn't have a margin. So there is concern, and I suppose those grain markets, um, they are directly linked uh, if global grain prices fall, uh, global dairy prices will follow because the cost of production globally uh, is reduced. We're unique in Ireland in having that close link with grass. Um, but fertiliser prices look likely to stay high in the medium term. Uh, and if, imp- uh, if output prices fall, it's going to leave uh, farmers squeezed. So there is uh, a lot of concern there. And you can hear that being expressed to politicians. While everything, it's a bit like the weather. Um, you know, farmers always have to be prepared for the rainy day like we're having today. And the rainy day may be just around the corner economically. Right, even though some of that rain, I guess, would be welcomed, would it not, around this time? You need the odd shower. Um, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> it's great to talk to you as always, Pat. And enjoy the rest of your time there in Rathaniska. Thank you. I good, certainly will. Good Take morning. Care, bye-bye. Bye-bye, Pat. That's Pat O'Toole, the great Pat O'Toole there of the Irish Farmers Journal. And uh, that data that we were referring to there, that research, that independent research, uh, all the detail of that available in the current edition of the Farmers Journal, which is on your shelves right now. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and uh, welcome back to Tip Today. One listener saying Clonmel for a town with such potential and having the amount of large employers... Uh, that is the envy of most uh, counties. The Clamell Chamber of Commerce must be taking notes from North Korea uh, because uh, the commercial rates are rip-off. Parking rates are killing the town centre. A prime location at the former Clamell Arms is falling down and uh, people in there squatting. The marketplace of Gladstone Street in Clamell is like a scene from an eastern Ukraine uh, city. It's shameful to see. Clonmel probably has three or 4,000 well-paid workers pouring out onto the N24 every week. It's about time the councillors try to harness some of that revenue into the town centres, is one of our listeners.
Fran, our dog howled outside the sitting room door the morning my dad passed away. Isn't that very interesting? We were talking to our vet Maraid uh, about whether or not animals could experience grief of uh, some form and uh, that's very interesting 083 now we spoke to Anne-Marie in the first hour of this morning show as you know we're on air from 9 o'clock every morning and we spoke to Anne-Marie about uh, medical expenses and the difficulties experienced by some people uh, when they're trying to get a GP appointment we had a huge reaction to her conversation here's just a little of what she had to say this morning between 9 and 10 to be honest I don't even like going to the doctor because you wait an hour and a half outside when you're not feeling well. It's the last thing you want to do. And then you're, you're going and my own personal doctor, he sits and looks at the screen. He doesn't talk with you. I compare him to my consultant who I had when I went down after two or three months for a checkup. Mm. I, he sat there and he sat and he actually spoke to me. And when he spoke to me, I broke down and I, it ended up that I was actually suffering from depression, which I couldn't speak to my own doctor because he sat there and looked at the screen the whole time. Sixty euro, it's a business at the moment. I think it's it's it, paying sixty euro for your health is just ridiculous. You know what I mean? Even if it was thirty euro, or you know, if if you go for the same problem, for example, like I went about my knee for about about my leg for about four or five times each time, I had to pay sixty euro. I remember before when, and I'm going back a few years ago when I had problems with my neck and my back mm. and I went to the doctor and, and if I went back with the same problem, I was never, ever charged. That's heartbreaking stuff from Anne-Marie who spoke to me uh, just a little after nine this morning and I suppose it's timely following that that we speak to Muriel Cuddy who is CEO of Marito uh, 8020. Good morning to you and how are you, Muriel? Great, Fran. Um, it, it's heartbreaking to listen that, I it? listened to it earlier on. I've goosebumps actually after listening to her there now again. Yeah. It, it's 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 where we are as a country or where we've gone as a country. Like we have no money and we're wondering why we have no money. And like isn't there one of the inst- instances straight away like if you have kids or there are any issues at all and you're charged every time. No, we, we used to be charged years ago. Like you went in and you could go back again. And on the other side of it, it's something we talk about all the time behind the scenes. And that's like patient uh, relationship, like client-customer relationship. Where are the relationships gone? Who mm. tries to build a relationship? Is it because the health service is so overran and that you go into the doctor and there's a waiting room of 50 people sitting there and they have, I suppose, no time either to build the relationships, but where has the whole thing gone wrong? Because it definitely is falling apart, yeah, it seems. but I mean, you run a busy business, but you couldn't afford to treat um, customers like that or patients like they that. They wouldn't come you? back to us, but you see, the difference is the health service is ran literally on a tablet for a tablet. And I suppose us as the customer or the, the client or the patient, we're fueling it to a certain extent. Yeah. Because 15 or 20 years ago, you tried to make yourself well. The older generation tried to make themselves well in it the most natural way possible. Now, if somebody comes into me and I do something with them on nutrition, I can't give them a tablet or I won't give them a tablet going out if I can avoid it at all because I want them to be well on the mm. most natural way possible. Whereas if somebody goes into a doctor, they're not happy coming out unless they actually have the tablet and have that little bag. So mm. we're feeding into it to a certain extent, Fran. Well, that's the culture that's there. It, it's the culture. And you know, it's, I, I said earlier on about habits and forming habits and all that kind of thing. Yeah. And I suppose we have to go back to go forward, don't we? If you think about this is September, right? And I was thinking 
about this when I was driving along the other day because somebody said to me, how do you actually get out of bed to go to the gym? Like the, the, when the clock goes off in the morning time. With, with kids or say when you've reared them from a younger age and that, we make them when they're going to school in the morning, when they're going to crash, they're made to get up and they're made to get dressed and you start teaching them and forming them habits from a very young age. Mm. They start primary school. They have to man up and go in and they form the habits of what they need to do. The same with secondary school. They've eight classes a day. They have to find the teachers. Mm. They have to find their clothes. They go to college. They have to go out into the big world themselves and get themselves up themselves and set the clock and do the food and all the bits and pieces. Where does it stop then when we hit adulthood? That we don't form the or establish the habits yeah. that are going to carry us through. Like, I know my daughter has gone to college this week and I was saying to her, right, your food and you need to do this and you need to do that. And you need, I've it all done. I've it sorted. I have whatever put in place. And they're able to do it. I know it's a younger mind and it's a younger whatever. We get lazier as we get older. You know, mm. definitely Irish people get lazier is, and it's easier not to form the habit yes. and use the excuse. And as somebody who uses the excuse all the time, we're very good at that. Oh, we, we are. You know, and, I'm too and tired, I'm too Treating ourselves and, and all the yeah. bits. But you're yeah. having all the conversations here about the hospitals. And this is mm. September. COVID is going to come back. Mm. We'll have the flu, we'll have the colds, we'll have the coughs. I spoke to you about the girl that I was really upset about that came to me. You remember I said to her she was, she was diagnosed in hospital. She oh, was yes. 56. Yeah. She's actually dying. And she has, from this morning's conversation, two or three weeks to live. So oh, literally, it's pounds a week that are falling off her. It, again, I have goose pimples because we can help ourselves if we'll just, like, form the habits, do the small things right, and just pull back a little. The mm. doctor's surgeries shouldn't be full. There's a lot of people going into the doctor's surgeries that can actually help themselves. And when I'm talking to people, like I say to them, sometimes it's a kick in the backside. Mm. And, like, we have to do it for ourselves. Nobody else will do it for us, Fran. And I, I get really, I suppose, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but and and why not get frustrated about it? Because you're you're seeing it on a daily basis, I guess, Muriel. Um, will you talk to me about inflammation and the part that that plays in our health and 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 uh, the yeah. way we are? I suppose. And I suppose it's the time of the year again. So um, signs of inflammation, acute inflammation that that progresses into chronic stage. Yes. But will you explain inflammation? Yeah, so when you speak about inflammation, what are you, what so are you talking about? Inflammation, it can, it can present itself as redness, heat, swelling, pain, anything mm. at all like that. But inflammation within the body, it's a couple of different things. It can come from stress. It can come from like lack of exercise. It can come from your diet. Uh, it can come from an injury, surgery. So, so many different things will cause inflammation within the body. It's like a car. If something goes wrong with, with a car, you have to bring it to the expert and you have to get it fixed. And all. Well, mm. our bodies are exactly the same. So there's certain things that we can do to reduce inflammation if there's a lot of inflammation there, it can cause a lot of chronic illnesses. So say like if, if heart disease isn't genetic, if, you know, different type 2 diabetes. So there's so many different things uh, that inflammation can drive. Inflammation also leaves you open. So the body is, is, is starting to break down. So it leaves you open to things like viral infection, bacterial infection. So when we're talking about viral infection, we're coming again into the winter months. So if there's inflammation in the body and you're open to it, you're open to things then like your COVID-19, like your flus. So like all the different things, meningitis, pneumonia, um, all of those things are all viral infections. And then even on the bacterial side, if you have a cut, even something as simple as that, and if there's inflammation in the body, well, if bacteria gets into that cut, then you're susceptible to bacterial infections. uh, infections. So inflammation can cause so many different things within the body, Fran. And So what can we do, Muriel? I mean... Well, I suppose there's a few different things. For me, there's a lot of people having surgery, so I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Mm. And my world here with you is to educate. That's mm. literally... And I've met so many people in the last in supermarkets and different places saying to me, God, I got a tip there and God, I got a tip there. Mm. That's what I want to do here. 
So it's if we can do things that people can actually help themselves, that's what it's about. Yes. And that's what I want to tell people. On the first side, I've spoken about it so many times. And if you're listening and you're going to the supermarket, load up on the anti-inflammatory foods, first of all. OK, now this is important, Fran. Right. So there's some anti-inflammatory foods and then there's other ones I want people to eliminate if there is inflammation already in the body. Right. So the foods that I want them to lo- load up on con- to control their blood sugar and all that kind of thing. Vitamin A, C, D and zinc. Right. So what's vitamin A? So I want to tell you exactly what you need mm. to be having, right? So it's like leafy greens. Again, I'm going back to the same things again, like liver, milk, eggs, okay? All of them are vitamin A. Vitamin C is your colour. So everything in colour in abundance. So like your berries, your fruits, your veg, anything that's colour. And that's antioxidant. And antioxidant means anti-inflammatory. So that reduces inflammation. Okay. Vitamin D is next. So vitamin D, it's more like your salmon, your fish, your liver, your milk, your egg yolks, things like that. Again, anti-inflammatory. So it reduces inflammation within the body. And then your zinc. So your zinc is different. It's a mineral. Okay, so magnesium and zinc are two minerals the body needs massively for, for, for zinc. And a lot of people are deficient in zinc. So you don't take both at the same time. So take magnesium earlier in the day. Sorry, zinc earlier in the day and magnesium to relax before you go to bed at night. But from zinc, it's like cashew nuts, chickpeas, pumpkin seeds, red meat, poultry, whole grains. So a lot of them cross over. Mm-hmm. But to know whether we have them or not, that's one right. of the biggest things. Other things that we need, turmeric. So turmeric. That's a natural anti-inflammatory. That comes in a powder form. Fish oils, ginger, spirulina, green tea, honey, oatmeal. Things you've heard me talking about all mm. the time. These are the staples of our diet. That's what we should base our, our wintertime what's, diet what's around. What's the magnesium in? Oh, so magnesium's in like loads of different things. Leafy greens again. So it's in, um, oh, lots of colour. Mm. Uh, yeah, so magnesium's yeah. So in. It basically, basically this, crosses right? over again. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There's one of the things I wanted to talk about here in relation to all of this. So, right, what do you eliminate? So if you do have inflammation in the body and you do have, say, things like Alzheimer's, um, there's a study actually going on. I know I'm digressing a little in the plan match this over these three days on Parkinson's. Um, so they're actually trying to do research uh, again mm. on science of information. There's a link with nitrates there, there's, isn't Yeah, there's there? a link. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well mm. done, Fran. Yeah, so the mm. nitrates and that. So they're trying to figure out, like, um, does it come from the pesticides? Mm. All of that kind of thing. And they've even done um, studies in Champagne and Bordeaux in France where there's a lot of people go to play golf in that. And they actually um, are finding that more people that play golf and do outdoor things like that later in life are actually developing Parkinson's. So, um, yeah, that's just... And that's environmental toxins are yeah. a stressor. So wow. that's, yeah. But anyway, going back to, say, the Alzheimer's, and things like that. Mm. Nightshade foods can actually increase the pain in things like arthritis and different things like that that if you already have some form of inflammation and you've been diagnosed with something to avoid certain foods that that, that don't actually cause you more pain okay. or more inflammation. So what is a nightshade food? I'm given a lot of information. A nightshade food is like peppers, tomatoes, potatoes, so things like that. You Avoid. Know, there's a family, yeah. There's a family of nitrate foods that can actually increase inflammation if there is already, that you've been diagnosed with something already that causes you pain. Tomatoes? Yeah, tomatoes, yeah. They're a nitrate food. There's different um, levels of foods. They're, they're kind of grouped together like families, like mm. cruciferous foods, foods are like broccoli, you know, like the green stem. Mm. And if you cut the stem of broccoli, you can actually see the end of it, like there's like a, like a horseshoe or whatever yes. on it, they're your cruciferous. So they, okay. they would affect one lot of people and then like your nightshade can affect another lot of people. So that's our world. That's what we do. You okay. try to figure out... So just out. name those again. The nightshade ones yeah, are... Yeah, so what? our potatoes, potatoes? Um, peppers, tomatoes, um, red foods like that. Okay, there's a chemical in them that will actually drive um, the inflammation, which will affect the pain. Right. Yeah. Now, they're perfectly fine if you're not suffering absolutely, from inflammation. Is that absolutely. It? Okay. So you need to find, figure out, really, I suppose for people, again, even to have the conversation. So um, 
that's the nutrition tolerance side of things, you know, so it's like dairy and it's like all the different things, you know, that, that are within your foods because mm. like I was doing a piece on that the other day, actually I didn't bring in my phone now, but I was doing a piece on that the other day even in relation to um, if you have pain in the body, where does it come from? What are you lacking in? So if you know, if you have if, if sugar cravings and you just can't stop eating Do it, I know? Yeah. Well, that's a, a lack of mineral chromium. You know, so there's there's different things within the body, and unless we educate ourselves on what's actually working for us or not working for us, so if somebody has arthritis and they have pain or they've painful joints, start writing down your foods, and actually see what effects. So if you have your dinner in the evening time and you have your potatoes with with your dinner, maybe half an hour, forty five minutes, or an hour later, you actually feel and you can can't understand and you put it down to tiredness because it's evening time. Could be actually something that you've eaten for your dinner at that time of the day. So that's it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. So it all crosses over. So to move on there, Fran, then to yeah. say, remember I was talking about the cryotherapy in that earlier Yeah, on. would you explain that? Because I know people will be fascinated with that. Yeah. yeah. So again, I suppose I want to offer in the clinic what will work for people. So what we're seeing, say, is inflammation in the body. And we have people coming to us lately, post-surgery, to do bloods and all the different bits and pieces, right? So cryotherapy or, or cryostimulation, for anyone that's listening, if anybody's involved in sports at all, they will have heard it. You knew straight away when mm. I mentioned it mm. to you. And it's, it's like ice, literally. So it's non-invasive and it's natural. And the only ingredient used is cold air. And the cold air is made of nitrogen mist at 70%. So it's all very natural. And 70% of nitrogen makes up the Earth's atmosphere, right? So right. everything we want to offer, we want to offer that will work, okay? So I suppose if you have surgery, it's trauma, isn't it? And surgery isn't natural. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it doesn't even have to be surgery. Um, for cryotherapy, it works on every level. Say, two of the girls in the office, when we started doing the training for this, um, both of them actually, um, if they're listening, it has to be high heels. But both of them, it was their big toe. And they literally couldn't, one of them in particular couldn't walk. She literally, it, it was the high, Charlotte, do you know mm, Charlotte? Yeah, I do, of Couldn't course, walk yes. and Charlotte without her high heels, <laughs> if she's listening, is literally not Charlotte. Yes. So she was in flats basically for like a couple of weeks. Now, this has gone on a long time. She loves to hike and she couldn't hike and she couldn't mm. do whatever. But anyway, the cryotherapy, so, so sceptical. If, if anybody knows Charlotte, they'll say, God, she even tried something. She's so sceptical to try anything, mm. um, anything at all like, like this. But anyway, she tried it after the first treatment she said to me the next morning, I actually feel the heat has gone, that, that, that the, the wow. heat has gone down within the injury. She was going to her physio that day and she said, I'm going to try it, try it again. You need to leave 24 um, hours between treatments before I go to physio and see what he thinks and I'll say nothing. So she tried it again, went down to the physio and he said, what are you doing? He said the heat is gone completely because it was on fire the week before. Isn't that incredible? And they were actually talking about steroid injections. Oh, yeah. well, yeah. yeah. So how does this work? Then? So cryotherapy literally is, it's, 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 I suppose, it's ice. It's like steam. And you apply it to the area of yeah. what so it's like wherever dry the ice, is. It? It's like dry ice, okay. yeah. It's like steam. There's actually, right. if you follow Marito um, on Facebook or on social media, we've a video put mm. up of how it actually works, and that that's the cryostimulation, and it reduces inflammation. That's what it actually does: reduces the swelling, reduces the pain. So post-surgery, it's the same thing, literally. And I suppose just to give a piece on it, really, I suppose what happens is. Um, it's very normal for people to experience pain from inflammation after surgery. So the part of the healing process, or rather the healing side effect, is where the red blood cells and the white blood cells are needed and desired at the point of injury to fight infection, which we know, and to deliver much needed care. But often the fluid surrounding these cells get in the way, which causes pain stagnation, um, uh, pain and stagnation. When the body experiences the blast of cold air from the cryotherapy or cryostimulation, these fluids can be dis- de- decreased and redistributed, which allow 
which allows circulation to improve, toxins are flushed out, fresh healthy blood um, comes to the area to increase all um, areas of the body, literally, rapidly, naturally, without pain, without pressure. So that's literally what it is. It's, it's, it's literally, it reduces the inflammation. It helps the red right. blood cells and white blood cells work properly. And is it pumped to that area or something? Is there some form of... So there's a few different ways of doing it. So cryostimulation is what we want to work with, Fran, because cryostimulation is, is isolation, literally. So okay. if it's your elbow, you can work on your elbow. Um, if it's your ankle or it's your toe whatever like the girls with the athletes it's different they immerse themselves in tanks yes. or they go into units so you're trying to bring the body temperature down with the cryostimulation you're trying to bring it down to between 2 and 5 degrees which is low you'll actually feel pain and you'll feel you know okay. you'll, you'll know yeah. what's happening with the cryo tanks when you step into them your whole body literally feels like it's gone into shock of course, yeah. but it speeds up the metabolism like it's really good for weight loss reduces any inflammation all over you know so there's so many That's different amazing. benefits to Do, it the, the cryotherapy does that work for arthritis and um, it'll help yeah definitely yeah. it'll definitely help and yeah. you know it works in other things like um, skin tags and warts and all of those smaller things that really affect people you know so it gets rid of them straight away as well mm. is somebody wondering about uh, rheumatoid arthritis and uh, without that, and that's jarring to us this morning to know about that the um, nightshade foods yeah yeah better off without the nightshade foods if there's any pain at all within the so yeah, again, potatoes, arthritis tomatoes potatoes tomatoes peppers, uh, peppers things like that uh, okay. yeah yeah um, apple cider vinegar says Michael in Templemore um, you you go along with that. I love apple cider vinegar yeah I can't yeah. stand it yeah it works it works for a lot Horrible. of people some people it doesn't it cuts like they, they just feel it going down the minute they but um, do you can't stand it because the taste of it the or does it actually it. affect you no the taste of ah, it ah you have to get over that Fran seriously I, 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 I have to get over a lot of things, Muriel. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> you know I'm we're live you know when you say things like that. Yeah, you want to get over that, Fran. Yeah. I know, seriously. It's just like, you know the way people take a tablet or if they're given a bottle know, of rotten medicine, they'll take yes. the rotten medicine, but yeah. I know. But anyway, there's tablets yeah. for apple cider vinegar it's now as well. So that's you see, it's the, what you were referring to earlier on. Somebody wondering about the turmeric where blood pressure is concerned uh, does it uh, have an effect on blood I'm, I'm not 100% so I'm okay. not going to give the wrong answer on it but okay. I couldn't see that it would to be honest because it's very natural but I'm not 100% but I can find out and if they want to ring me that's no problem at all, all. Right. Okay you're 10 days off uh, from your We are opening. 10 days off and you know if any of the lads are listening down on site so I have to give a big shout out to Joe Mulcahy so Joe is the builder on site and we are in his ear so he has a crowd of women behind the scenes the shouting at him pet. yeah literally 10 times a day and he has been so civil and so lovely to us from the very beginning yeah. and it's coming it, that the project is coming in on time all the lads that are down there from Tony who's one of the main builders to the plumbers electricians mm. painters the place is just buzzing and they're all so lovely and they're all getting on together and all the bits and pieces and they stand back and they leave us in and they're like I'm sure they're saying to themselves look at these coming again they're going to drive us mad but I have to say thanks because great, it's, seldom people get a thanks isn't it and, absolutely uh, yeah, yeah. and it's Parnell Street in, in Clonmel and yep. just finally can I drive drag you in on a conversation that we've been having throughout the morning because there was some argy-bargy at the municipal district meeting yesterday about the town and rejuvenation of the town and all of that. You're, you're making a huge investment in the town at this yep, point. We are. Um, are. Are you happy with the support you're getting and with the... Well, I suppose we haven't we haven't gotten any support of anybody and nobody has called us. Now, for us, yes, it's a huge investment. The money is like, there's a lot of noughts on the end of what we've actually put into the building and then that side of the town and a lot more even. I suppose we've created at least three, if not four, new jobs in the new place and that will probably go to 15 jobs by the time we have it all. Uh, the builders that are on site, all of that kind of thing. It was actually only yesterday. Nobody has actually, I suppose, really come to us and said, what can, what 
what can we do? But um, yesterday I said to one of the girls, can you apply for the commercial rates grant? Um, because the commercial rates are serious, Fran. Really, really high. Yeah, yeah, and it's a derelict building or it's a, sorry, not derelict, but it was um, empty, vacant mm. for the last two or three years. Mm. So things like that really matter to a business that's starting because for us, cash flow is king. And for us to start generating money and then paying what we need to pay, we need as much support as we can possibly get. So, mm. yeah, if there is and, anybody... And your business will drag people into town there. Well, we, we plan on, like, the Marito H20 brand is is five-star aesthetic and wellness clinic mm. that we plan. And already I've had a couple of girls on from Dublin that I work with mm. uh, saying I need appointments or whatever. So mm. we're literally just, like, off the motorway. We have Cork. Kilkenny, mm. Tipperary, Waterford, Dublin. We plan on bringing people from all over. Our doctors, like our, we've three doctors, like Spanish, Irish, mm. whatever. Mm. Um, they're well known already. Right. So yes, we're going so to bring people will come into, into the town. Yeah. 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 So yeah. It's, it's interesting because that is really uh, experiential. That's what you're experiencing as somebody who's starting a brand new business right now yeah. in town. We need people to come to us and say, listen, yeah. even with parking things like that because well, that's a busy street yeah, you know so for somebody street. to be able to park straight outside the premises we have a couple of our own parking spaces but um, yeah to, the oh. parking's a big deal now Leo and them have been brilliant to us friends so I do have to say that okay. local enterprise office they've always been very good to us but on the all other right. side yeah well always good to talk to you and uh, the countdown is happening and we wish you well being yes. real thanks can I give the number friend? just in case I beg your pardon yes. of course you can yeah. yes um, so 087 415 4998 okay and uh, that's for general queries and yes everything sort of just have a chat yeah. All right. Good to talk to you. Thanks, Thanks very much friend. indeed, Muriel. That's Muriel Cuddy there, CEO of Marito 8020. And uh, 10 days to go before the official opening of that on uh, Parnell Street in Clonmel. All right. We'll take a break. Back in a moment. The Imro Radio Award winning tip today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel, or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie. The Imro Radio Award-winning Tip Today. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Test drive the all-new Peugeot 2008 compact SUV at Slattery's Garage, puck on. Choose from petrol, diesel or fully electric. Slattery'sGarage.ie One of our listeners on WhatsApp saying, Fran, animals can sense death. It's a known fact that you can't transport animals and a person's remains together in the hold of an aeroplane, for example. The dogs will go ballistic. Isn't that very interesting? Indeed, I certainly didn't uh, didn't realise that. Um, Pat was on to say uh, that, uh, not reflecting my experience, I have an excellent doctor, a true professional. Well, I made that point earlier on uh, myself, Pat, that my experience uh, is always a very, very positive one with real professional people and very fine people as well. Um, but certainly some of our listeners on to say it's not quite their experience. Uh, there's a coffee morning underway right now at Connie and Kathleen Grace's in Clock Jordan and it will run right through until 3 o'clock. So uh, it's for hospice. So if you uh, want to make your way along there, you'll be treated to coffee and I presume some goodies as well along the way. Um, Fran, it's nothing major, just that my two dogs will not pass a graveyard near me if I'm bringing them for a walk. Some people would say that they're used to going to a grave, but I don't go in there all the time. Isn't that interesting that the dogs won't pass the graveyard? Lots coming into us uh, on this 83 311 Uh Today marks the final day of the ploughing championships in Rathaniska in County Leach. And yesterday, 
saw the largest crowd in the event's 91-year history with 115,000 people on site. Now, it's damp down there today and we heard from Pat O'Toole live from the site earlier on. But our own Eamon O'Dwyer is uh, there for this week's uh, Down Your Way programme. Let's give you a little sample of that right now. I'm here in the car park, pulled up beside uh, two Marlboro's man on the way in. How are you doing? Very good, very good, thank you, David. Billy Tracy. Billy Tracy, yes. Yeah, good to, and your daughter's with you as well. Yes, yeah, Michelle. Yeah. What's your experience of, of the travel on the way up? Lots of traffic in Abbey Leaks. Okay. You had a good old trip up, though. Good old trip up, yeah. Okay. So what are you looking forward to today, Billy? Going around to the stands and see what's available and yeah. meeting all the farmers. Yeah. Plenty of deep pockets for spending money up plenty, here. Plenty of pockets, yeah. Plenty yeah. of pockets. Yeah. No money, though. Yeah. Talk to me about uh, life around Two Mile Boris and expecting a day like today. Ah, sure, it is very good around Two Mile Boris. There's a lot of houses being built there at the present and mm-hmm. progress is very good in it. You, you must have a great interest in something up here today. Did you come up here this morning? Ah, no, just I'm retired and I came up to have a look around. Okay. Free time on my hands. Bit of free time. You worked in the co-op and, and bellied up for years. Off. 44 years in it. That's a bit of a legacy, isn't it? Yes, and my father gave 48 years in Montour, another branch. That's unreal, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So nearly 100 years between you. 100 years between us. <laughs> isn't that terrific? Terrific. So you're going to enjoy uh, whatever goes on here today? Yeah? Enjoy it, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's just a beautiful morning, isn't beautiful it? Beautiful morning, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Grand time. And lovely hills in the background yeah. and, uh, and all that. We'll say hello to the daughter. Hey, how, how are you doing? I'm not so bad, and yourself? Yeah, your name is? Michelle. How are you doing, Michelle? Not so bad. Good, good to be here today. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah looking, forward. looking forward to it, yeah. Looking forward to it? Yep. Always looking forward to it? Always looking forward to it, yep. Yeah, yeah. We want to say hello to a good friend of ours in, in Tip FM over the years. Uh, I, I brought him with us uh, the whole ways up. Tony Brooke, how are you doing, Tony? Great, Eamon. Thank you very much. How are yeah, you? Absolutely. Terrific. <laughs> your first experience of a plown, a plown championship. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've seen it uh, on television and I've heard a lot about it. And I know that it's one of the, the biggest events uh, in uh, the world, I think, uh, mm-hmm. at this stage. And I'm looking forward to having a look around myself. It really is, you know, a great, going to be a great experience, you know. It's, it's your first time, uh, you know, there's miles of trackway and roadways and thousands of stands and all that kind of thing. So what's your great interest in being here today? Well, I, I'm absolutely uh, delighted to uh, take a look around and uh, see some of the entertainment which mm-hmm. uh, will be taking place here because I know there's a lot of entertainment mm-hmm. and uh, I hope to uh, be able to uh, meet some of the artists yeah, and yeah. Uh, say hello. You won't sing the song before we start, Tony, will you? <laughs> <laughs> no, OK, no, thanks. No. <laughs> and uh, thanks to your very good self for all your help and assistance. In, uh, no bother, no bother. Uh, it was a privilege you looked after us for so many years, Tony, and it was brilliant. Uh, thanks very much, Jamie. It's absolutely brilliant. Thank you. Absolutely. Enjoy the day. Back to Billy here. Uh, just before we get in, your, your, you had the sandwiches out early. Yes, made them this morning. You made them this morning? Yes. You made them yourself? I did, of course. We were left around quarter to seven. Okay, okay. So, straight down. So it's a church, it's only down the road. That's all. Yeah. That's all. Is this uh, an experience that you never had before? Or did you ever go to Plown Championship? Oh, yeah, this is me, third or fourth Plown okay. Championship. As I walked down along here, came across a group of people. Hi, how, how's it going? Right. A man dressed up with a hat and a stick and a bit of bail and pine. Hello, right? hello, who are you? Oh, who are you? Uh, more uh, more I'm here from Waterford. Do you ever hear tell of a place called Waterford? Barely. Barely. Well, we, car- send, we send down a fella down to you to train you down there for the last couple of years. You That's did a good job. And you're sending down another fella this year to his own Kelly. Yeah, we are. And he's doing another good job. Ah, uh, he will do another good job. 
wish you were not too bad. You're asking me a lot of questions. Who are you, anyway? You're a, I, I, I met you about 25 or 30 years ago down here. Bachel- bachelor's in trouble. That's, I, I'm one of them. We're t- this is my 32nd year coming to the National Plowing Association. 32 years. And you, oh, are, you, are you still a bachelor? Oh, you're one of them radio fellas. Oh, Jesus, Mary, knows I remember you. I thought you were dead. God almighty. Well, close enough to it last year. <laughs> well, well, we're all close enough to it because we're, we're moving in in the years, aren't we? Yeah. Pip, uh, oh, we can get ye below and water for sure. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. over the car, come the mountains, ye'd be shouting at us in over the mountain. Anyway, what do you want to know? I just want to know how did you get on since you got married there. Oh, I did didn't. Get... Ah, yes, I didn't. I'm still looking for a woman, will you let me alone? By God See, I can't get a woman in the shift the market the Wilton's on her leg. Beside now it's a walking wife I want, you know. What's, the, what's the Wilton's about? Oh, well to see the market the Wilton's if she had the Wilton's up to there there'd be a mark in her leg, you know. She'd be a good walking woman then and that's the kind of one I'd want. You know, I want that could throw two bales of hay, you know, over a door with one with one sprung, you know yourself. I don't know myself, Ed. Well, what uh, you where were you born in the country or the town? Oh, I'm a townie. Oh, you're a townie. Well, you're always Egypt. If you don't know about the market, the Weltons are a sprung. Do you know what a sprung is? No, I never heard of it. Oh, jeez, Mary and Joseph. Well, who are you asking me all these questions? Anyway, let's tell me, how would you never got a woman in all those 30 years? But you see, I never met the right kind of a one. You, you see, uh, she have to have a little bit of a dowry as well, you know? The little what, what, bit of what's that here? Money, you Egypt. <laughs> you Egypt. Oh, you know all about it. You're all, you have a heap of gear hanging out here. What? Are you Jehovah Witness, no? <laughs> Close enough to be <laughs> They're here behind us. I'm talking to you, eh? I better stay quiet. You're kind of a fella that you, uh, you wouldn't know what to make out here. Yeah. Anyway, into the great day, is it? Absolutely. What brings you here every year? Every year, but I'd say it'll be all last year because my brother Jack is not so well, the poor fella. Oh, He's not so well, the poor fella, you know. This is my 32nd year coming to the plough. We've been all over Ireland, east, south, east, west, midlands, all over. I saw a film you made and it's supposed to be for real uh, a dowry that was on its way to you or uh, a week or something like it and you, oh, you yeah, were left yeah. a lot of money I was left a lot of money but I never got any of the money though what happened? I don't know there's somebody I think it wasn't for real though I think it was a kind of a set up job was it? it was close enough it was close enough to it <laughs> oh yes it was close enough to it you see we could make it up as we go along you know we don't ever rehearse anything at all you know we make it up as we go along and if it works it works and if it don't well there'd be fellas asking me like what what am I what, why am I dressed up like this but sure, this is the way I'm every day of the week walking around with clothes like this on me yeah and what are you doing every day do you cook for yourself oh I do and I I uh, make my own bed and I does my own wash and I does the whole lot I'm a self I'm a self employed man you know I'm yeah. down under the Cumla Mountains a bit of an old fool I must go down to see you do you yeah <laughs> And that six minutes of badness was brought to you by my great friend Eamon O'Dwyer there. Uh, Down your way. You can hear that in full uh, this coming Saturday morning from 10 o'clock. It's great, isn't it? Bachelors in trouble there. Of course, uh, battling wits there with our own uh, Eamon. How good was it to hear Tony Brooke there as well? And lots of our listeners on to us to say, great to hear Tony uh, back on uh, Tip FM. Well, we wish Tony well. He's been a great friend of mine for a long, long time. And uh, to Helen and to all the family as well, we wish you all the very best. Uh, We'll take a break. And when I come back, we'll be speaking about people-pleasing. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. 
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. One of our listeners saying during COVID when I was working from home, my dogs were great company and they know when you have a good day and when you have a bad day and they're largely better than people uh, because they comfort you with no complaints whatsoever, says one of our listeners. I'll go along with that uh, completely. 83 People pleasing. What about people pleasing and people pleasers? Well, to talk to me about this, I'm glad to be joined now once again by Lorna Butler of PDC Coaching. Lorna, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. And good to see you today. People pleasing and people pleasers. Yes. Now, what, what's it all about, Lorna? Okay, so I suppose this is quite a common area and it shows up quite a bit um, in my clients. And I think, like, to define what a people pleaser is, it's a person who's a strong urge to please others, um, even at their own expense. And I think what happens is we can confuse people pleasing with kindness, mm-hmm. and it's a very fine line. And I suppose in order to separate or distinguish between the two, kindness comes from a place of feeling secure. Um, it's where you do something for somebody else and you don't really expect anything in return from that person and you're not worried about being accepted. So kindness is kind of a gesture towards somebody else. People pleasing is is different, even though it can be confused with acts of kindness. It is a way of behaving and what we do is we use people pleasing to validate our self-worth. Um, and if, for example, you know, if you're looking at doing something, you're more than likely trying to seek validation or prove approval from somebody if you're people pleasing. So if your friends are going out for dinner, say, and you're tired, you've had a busy week in work and you don't really want to go. But you're like, OK, if I don't go to this dinner, I'm going to lose these friends. So that's kind of what people pleasing lends itself to. You prioritise other people mm. ahead of your own needs all of the time. And does that play into the fact that your self-esteem might be all it should be? Yeah, so people who tend to people please have low self-worth. So they're constantly looking to be liked by other people, to feel good about themselves. They're looking for that validation and they're constantly, as I said, kind of seeking approval. And they're they're trying to fit in. So they're trying to rather than belong. And what I mean by fitting in is they're altering who they are to belong to, or to fit into a certain group rather than just showing up as who they are. So it's it's most people-pleasing kind of stems um, early on. So we've developed this over a period of time and it, it kind of becomes an ingrained behaviour. Um, and as I said, it gets confused with acts of kindness mm. all the time because as a people-pleaser, you're constantly trying to do things to please other people which in turn looks like you're being really kind. Um, and so it's just to be aware, I suppose, yeah. of the And I presume if you're a people pleaser, you'll find it extremely difficult to say no, even if it puts yourself uh, 
uh, in discomfort or in annoyance or something like that. Absolutely. You can't say no. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think there's a couple of telltale signs which I've brought along with me today just to kind of give you an indication of what people-pleasing is all about and just to help differentiate it from, from the kindness and, and give your listeners an opportunity whether or not they can agree or, or not agree with mm. some of the, the points. Um, and I suppose, look, if you're saying yes to one or two of these, that's, you know, that's fine. But if you're up like eight, nine and ten and you're agreeing to pretty much all of what I'm going to say, then that could be concerning for your own state of well-being as well. So just mm. to be mindful of that. And if you are, I will give you some tips as to what you can do differently. Mm. But some of the telltale signs of being a people pleaser is like you apologise a lot. You're constantly apologising. Mm. You know, you find it difficult to say no, which is what you've just said. You're mm. constantly putting everybody else ahead of your own. Um, you pretend to agree with people. So the agreeableness is a very um, high, I suppose, high functioning within a people pleaser because you don't want to not agree with people because that will bring on conflict. Right, so you and that's another one. And you, you, yeah. yeah, you avoid conflict at all costs. You don't want to engage in that because if you're engaging in conflict, there is a chance then that person mightn't like you, mightn't agree with you, mightn't validate you. And that's really important to a people pleaser to get that. Um, you feel responsible for other people's feelings as well. So... That's a big one and that can that can definitely le- lend itself to burnout. You, as I said, you fit into groups rather than belong um, and you need praise to feel good about yourself. So, you know, if someone tells you you're doing a good job, then you feel good, but you don't necessarily know that you're doing a good job yourself. So th- there's kind of kind of tweaks and fine lines between it. Um, as I said, you avoid conflict at all costs. You hide feelings of hurt. So you kind of always put on the brave face and you never show um, that somebody has hurt your feelings or has somebody has done something to you, primarily because you're trying to keep everybody else happy. So your own happiness suffers. Mm. Um, you know, people are always asking you for favours. As I said, that's the kindness piece. Yes. So, you know, you can become kind of that person that they lean on all of the yes, time because rather they than know that you'll come up trumps I exactly suppose. because yeah. you won't say no because you know you're yeah. constantly saying yes and you're offering your help um and also kind of the last one is you feel really uncomfortable when other people don't like you so it makes you really uncomfortable almost kind of stresses you out um and so those are the kind of signs that lend itself to people pleasing. And as you can see, like some of them lend itself towards acts of mm. kindness. And that's why differentiating between the two is really important. Mm. And there is a lot of consequences for people who lean into people pleasing. Um, and like burnout is one of the top ones, you know. So you burn yourself out, you, you lose energy all the time mm. when you're trying to constantly please everybody and, and you know, try to predict what somebody is looking for from you without actually having any idea. So it lends itself to that constant de-energised state, you know. It's very interesting. Is it symptomatic of other underlying conditions as well? I mean, like somebody with mental health difficulties, maybe with depression and the like, could that result in you becoming a people pleaser in some way? It depends, I think. People pleasing is an ingrained behaviour and it does absolutely stem from a piece of self-worth. And outside of kind of this particular trait or state, there is other elements that will lend itself to 
what happens to you when you have poor self-worth. And, and some of it could lend itself to more of the therapeutic side of things, which could be depression. Um, but I suppose the good news with people-pleasing is that, and, and the work that I do as a coach, is that, you know, the brain can be rewired. So we know from neuroscience, neuroplasticity, once we have an awareness of what we're doing, we can educate and create awareness around ourselves and we can change our behaviours mm. that have been ingrained for so long. So how can we, if there's people out there who were ticking off some of those yeah. uh, items you were putting out there, uh, what can we do? Okay, the first thing is about learning to say no. And these sound these sound like very simple things to do. But mm. honestly, if you're a people pleaser, it's it, not it's easy. Not easy. Yeah. And it, it takes a lot of kind of work to kind of get to the stage where you're comfortable with saying no to people. These will lend itself to you feeling really uncomfortable initially. But what I would say to people is just try. Know that it's not going to be comfortable and just lean into it and try and see what happens. Um, but like learning to say no, waiting to be asked rather than constantly offering all of the time, you know. Mm. Wait till somebody kind of asks you. Practice putting yourself first. Like it's okay to prioritise yourself. It's okay to prioritise your own needs. I'd always say to people like if your cup is empty, you've nothing to give anybody whereas you need to pour from a from a full cup so mm. fill your cup first and I always say to people like you can be a kind person but you can still prioritise yourself you can still have boundaries around what's what's necessarily right for you and what what you want to give mm. to other people well you have to be kind to yourself too haven't absolutely you? yeah. it all kind of begins with you and and what you're doing in order to I suppose feed your own self-worth you know mm. it's a huge piece of work that sits around that but as I said you know you do have a choice realize that this is kind of an element or a practice that you want to get a hold of or you want to change and know that there is supports there that can help you mm. to do that, especially if it's if it's really yeah. difficult. Have you seen people able to turn around from being a people pleaser and to being, you know, so stressed out by that? Have you seen people oh, turn around? Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's quite successful. So when you start to bring awareness, and I think because with people pleasing, sometimes it's unconscious behaviour. And so people mm. don't necessarily know that it's people pleasing or know that that they're aware of that's what they're doing. So when you work with someone like myself, a coach who observes your behaviour, who observes your thinking patterns, who observes your kind of emotional states, that lends itself to giving you the information. And lots of my clients have turned turned it around and put boundaries in place, know when to say yes. But it is really about working on yourself and and realising it comes down to you and, and your own peace around your own self-worth, you know. It's very interesting. It is September, Lorna, you know, back to school and people making plans and all of sort of... Does that reflect itself in your business? Absolutely. Does it, I mean, yeah? They always say, you know, January is the start of, of something new and January is quite busy for me, but also September because I suppose kids are back to school, there's a routine, you're coming into the winter, you're kind of closing out on the summer, people are, you know, identifying goals for the remainder of the year and so September tends to lend itself to getting quite busy and just kind of setting yourself up. If you're looking at 2023 and you're thinking, God, what do I want to do from mm. a personal development point of view and how do I want to, you know, work with my, my goals? Like lending it and stepping into this space um, kind of in this time of the year sets you up for such success for 2023 because you're already working on, mm. on next year. You know what I mean? You're already future focused. Do you go on with that uh, idea of setting goals, giving yourself something to work for? Do you think that's important? Yeah, 
So setting goals um, and having kind of a longer term term goals and short term goals is is important because a future focuses you and coaching is all about moving you from your present state um, to a future state that you desire. Um, but I would say, you know, it's not a huge leap. Goals are small, consistent steps. And sometimes we try and set ourselves big goals. I would always say to people, break it down, bite-sized chunks. What do you need to do like every day, every week, every month for that to materialise, you know? So it's not a huge leap. It's very much small steps consistently. It's very interesting. If people want to make contact with you, Lorna, how, how can they do that. Yeah, absolutely. My website is www.pdccoaching.com and I'm across all social media, so um at pdccoaching.com on Instagram. All right, great to see you today, Lorna. Thanks and a stop friend. people pleasing is yeah, the message absolutely. out there. Great to see you. Thank you and good morning to you. That's it for me. Uh, Emma produced uh, Ali looks after our content. Stephen is on the way and we'll be back with you tomorrow morning from 9 and Johnny Luby will be with me at that point. You look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Culture 9.